Welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Pira. Marler, we are officially homeowners. Not, well, I mean, I guess technically you and I are separately, of course. We do not live in the same residence. Um, yeah. We bought a house for the season. Yeah, we bought, you know, just like a bubble house to be able to hang yeah. out, record podcasts. You know, we should do like a flip this house for the season and like, or hang out with a uh, Sad About Sports Guy, which I now for some reason am, am like forgetting his actual name, but Sad About Sports Guy, one of my favorite followers we have um, and people on Twitter in general, he's a big Auburn fan. He always invites us down to his house in Florida and it's kind of like a cool backyard. Like we should, us three should go into a flip this house type thing. There we go. After going through the, the house buying process once, I think I'm good on that for a bit. Yeah, you know, it's not I think, fun. I think we're good. And, and you know, my wife does a lot of the, you know, reading of the fine print and all that yeah. stuff. And I try and I try and stay on it as best I can. She is just on such a such a different level when it comes to so much of that stuff. But, it, man, it's tough. It, it's not easy. It's not it easy. It makes me wonder how many words in the English language were invented just to screw you out of money. Yeah. Like, how many how many four syllable words or five or like four plus words were invented just so you would not be able to keep money that you made for yourself yeah the the whole like oh yeah you have a you you are signing away this much and agreeing to pay yeah. this loan the loan money is what scares me even yep. more so than the than the initial down payment because the loan is like wait a minute oh. that with that with that many zeros that's 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 like more money than I've ever seen in my entire life, and I have no yeah. plans on making that money. So right. that's gonna be that's gonna be tough, isn't it? Down payment on a house it blows my mind because it's like they make they make it seem like it's like oh it's just like adding a tip. It's like fifteen to twenty percent, like whatever you got, whatever you got is fine. Everything you got, everything you got, and then you actually go like try to like I remember we we closed on our house and they were like. So a thirty percent down payment would be ideal. And I'm like, I, I, I bet it would. I yeah, bet it, sure. everything would be ideal for you. But like on a six hundred and fifty thousand dollar house, that's not reasonable. Sick like that's brag. not, that's not okay. We need to take that part out for real. We'll bleep that. Well, will. yeah, we'll bleep that. Well, um, but like, but no, like on a, like a house like that, it's like that's effing crazy. Like that's like who like people don't have that just lying around. Like, I've I've searched our backyard and dug up a lot of holes, and yeah. I've only found coffee cans and no money. Just bones. It's really weird. We gotta talk about that, but not the, right now. These are the things I have to do now. Now that I officially have a yard, which a yard to yeah, mow. Yeah. I'm very, very excited about that. But um, yeah, so big, it was a big morning. But the only thing work-wise that I initially planned on doing today was recording this here podcast. Yeah. And then of course the Big Ten had to go and get a game canceled, and I had to go write about that as well so, because whenever like you have an off day, days, there's right? always going to be breaking news. Right. <laughs> It's it's 21 days for for the players that are in protocol. They're shutting down. Yeah. Wisconsin shutting down for seven days. But I'm sure people that are listening to this right now are like, Wisconsin? Where's that? No idea. Don't care. Yeah, it's fair. It's like it, that's the oven mitt, right? Yes, it, it is the oven mitt. My mom actually has a home in the thumb of the oven mitt up in Wisconsin. Fun fact. I, but see, why do there's so many things about the Big Ten that I don't like. But it is kind of cool that two states up there have hands as states. Yeah, it's like the hamburger helper areas of the region. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I also want to give a shout out real quick. Um, uh, William Galloway, he he texted. We were in a text thread with a bunch of Bama fans, and he he has his own podcast. Um, I'm not going to give it a shout out because it's you know it's not our podcast. No offense, Will. But he did text us earlier, and he said he just got done recording. <laughs> 
And as soon as he was done, he heard about the Wisconsin thing. And he heard about uh, the exodus <laughs> that is happening in Starkville right now, which I cannot Yikes. help but laugh. And 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 also, I can't help but laugh because, not because, listen, Sarthak, you're my boy, and I want to pull for Mississippi State because of, because of you most weeks. But I can't help but laugh because, um, one, as soon as he was done recording, all of his news broke, and that happens to us all the time. Two, Always. there's just that one very special podcast host from a, a totally different podcast who's a big Mississippi State fan who talked so much trash to us this year and now everything's falling apart at the seams and last but not least of course Tyrell Shavers is one of the guys who is le- going into the transfer portal and of course he was one of my breakout stars mm, by the way that person that you're talking about unfollowed me on Twitter as a result no yeah I'm, I'm heartbroken no really heartbroken. he's got to be so happy though with how things are going for his life and his team huh yeah, he's totally not petty at all um <laughs> We have a lot to get to today. Not just going to talk about yeah. the home owning process, but we have six SEC games, which feels just oh so much better than last week with four. Just so much more like a real college football yeah. weekend. And Florida's I guess going to play again. Florida's going to play again. I guess the Pac-12 is going to play again, or something like that. Rumors are not. Wait, not are they playing the Pac-12 this week? Pac-12 is supposed to be this weekend, is it not? Oh, no, that's next weekend. Oh, it's next weekend. See, you know, that's how much we care about this at this point. You're the second person today that's brought this up, though, that I thought they were playing today. I was like, what in the hell? It's like daylight saving time. Everybody is continuing to just botch whatever weekend it is. It it is indeed this this weekend. weekend. It is this weekend. It's the worst day of the year. What are you talking about? It's fall back. That's great. It's the worst day. No, it's not. It it gets dark at 5 o'clock. Let me tell you something, Connor. You don't know pain. You don't know pain from daylight savings until 1 like, listen, there's positives of it are drinking. If you go out and you actually go to a place where they actually stay open late an extra hour, which they never do anymore. But you don't know pain until you've worked a restaurant job and you go in on a Sunday night for a shift that you always hate and you don't want to be there for it anyway. And when you go in at 5.30 for your shift and at like... Oh, that's nothing. 8.30, 8.30, it starts to get dark usually or 8 o'clock starts to get dark and you're like, oh, cool, I've only got like an hour or two left. And then you go in for that first first Sunday when daylight savings time and it's 5.30... And then it's 6.15, it gets dark, and you're like, oh, sheesh. Two things. I'm going to one-up you pretty badly on this one. Okay. First, first of all, it's daylight saving time. It's not daylight savings No time. one cares, Connor. You always I know nobody cares about I know nobody cares about that. <laughs> you don't know depressing when it comes to daylight saving time oh, until you are in central time zone and yeah. you walk out of school at 4 o'clock and the sun is down. I kid you not. Those who are in central time zone and who are on the edge – know about this because living on it, the edge. it is awful Day, daylight Wait, saving time messes you why up why are you in school at four o'clock like, like get what? out of 3 30 get out of 3 30 and you know the bus comes at four o'clock by the time you get home you're looking outside and you're like holy crap it's dark yeah Can't play any games yeah that sounds awful i will say also the the only the only thing i've never understood about the way the world works is like and what i thought you were going to say i don't know why but like people that live in new york like I remember watching like TRL growing up, and great you get home from work, great, fantastic. Carson show. Daly. Carson Daly. We don't talk about him enough. Um, La La. I think I think everybody would agree, but like, yeah, and always had like some like like twenty eight year old bro, and it's like, listen, my name's Braden. I'm from Staten Island. I want to hear Bye 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 from NSYNC or Lynn. You steal my sunshine. Those are my two favorite songs. It's, it's a like, great song. Come on, just get on YouTube, buddy. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but the whole thing is, uh, I like. I remember like getting home and watching TRL, and I'm like, why the F is it dark at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in New York City? Like, every day. Made no sense to me. I don't understand I don't understand the way the world works. We're going to have a different podcast where we talk about, like, 
the way the the axis right that, sure that's sure <laughs> we, we touched on <laughs> a lot of areas content. <laughs> we touched on a lot of areas i felt like a mid off season a mid quarantine pod if you yeah. will marler before we get off the rails too much tell us about our friends at texas pete oh my gosh so here's the one saving grace i've been what um so i've been sick for several days now and uh it's not been great and there was a lot of people that were worried it was covid I was not one of them, and the re- the main reason why I wasn't worried about it, it wasn't COVID is because I didn't lose my sense of taste. And thank mm. God, because have you ever had chicken soup? It's not. It's like eh, it's it sucks. like eh. it's the worst yeah, part of being it's not sick. Great. Yeah, well, I don't know what the worst part about being sick, but yeah, it's not great. Um, but chicken soup, you throw a little Texas Pete in there. Oh, that'll clear the sinuses for at least twelve minutes, and that is what I've been doing off and on uh, for several days. I, I've I've maintained my record as the only person I know that is not able to lose weight when they're sick. Um, and, and again, thank you to the taste buds because I've not allowed that to happen. And our, also to our friends at Texas Pete who have made sure it didn't happen as well because Texas Pete in some in some chicken noodle soup, oh, with a soda on the side, that is chef's kiss, fantastic. Um, a lot of you have been sending in your pictures of your tailgate setups, your home getting setups, your Texas Pete recipes. We, we're getting more and more people that are trying Texas Pete for the first time. Love it. I got really excited about that. Also, kind of offended because we've been talking about Texas Pete for three years now. Seriously. Um, that being said, thank you for still trying it. I am super excited. Super excited for those of you that have not tried it yet. If you haven't, I want to I extend a challenge to you this weekend. Try the wing sauce, okay? Mm. Make some homemade wings. It's daylight saving time. There you go. Right? Did I do that right? Um, and you could be saving a lot of time on bad recipes uh, by getting yourself some good recipes at texaspeed.com. Okay? Go to texaspeed.com. Don't try to go do stuff on your own and try to make up your own stuff unless you're Jenny Bolton. She's fantastic at it. Go to Texas Pete. Let them guide you in your culinary quest of making food this weekend for your home getting or tailgating setup. Because you were under the weather, I recorded an interview with former oh, Florida yeah. tight end and current Florida sideline analyst Tate Casey. Great, great stuff. I asked a question that you're going to listen to. I'm not. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. You're going to listen to, and you're be, you're just going to be like, I am so glad that Connor asked that question. And it's not the one at the end, but you're going to come back to. You're going to send me a text as soon as you listen to it, and you're going to be like, that's you're doing the Lord's work on that one. You'll know what I mean. Is You'll it? Know what I mean. Is it about Tathan? It is not about Tathan. That's his real name, Tate. I think. I we did not discuss that. It, the similarities to Tate I'm, Martell. We didn't want to go down that. Oh road. yeah, no. I'm so bummed that I couldn't be a part of this. And I, I won. I appreciate you picking up and, and doing like the, the heavy lifting for that because I was just in in full on death mode. But um, I I'm so bummed that I couldn't be a part of this because we we talk about this all the time. We make jokes about that stupid picture of me playing baseball with my sleeves rolled up, trying to look all cool, like from high school. And me and him were on the same team when that happened. That was discussed. That was discussed. Did he remember me? Probably not. Um, I don't want to say that he definitely didn't, but there was not yeah. like a, oh man, like yeah, I totally remember that guy, a personal connection thing. It was more of, oh, that's really cool. You'll have it to makes sense that he was 6'2", 220 pounds as a 15-year-old throwing 92 miles an hour, and I remember that, but he probably doesn't remember like the 5'11", 175-pound kid running a 7'4", Our man Tate height-shamed the crap out of me. I mean, like, it, he didn't what? knowingly do it. He didn't knowingly do it. But let's just say there's a moment in there where I get real subconscious about my height. Oh, good. Stay, good stay tuned for that. <laughs> Before we get to all that. Defensive player of the year. 
<laughs> Week six in the SEC. Let's start off with Georgia and Kentucky. Now, Georgia, as of, okay, so this was recorded earlier, and I should probably have updated this. Georgia is, do you have the my bookie spreads pulled up right now, actually? Uh, I can. That's a good I, idea. I have, let's, can we, let's can we check talk this. about my night with them last night real quick? Just that sounded it up. out of context. Whoa. Yeah, that does sound weird. Um, so with my bookie last night, in the last game of the World Series, I made three bets. Three bets on my bookie. And it was the Del- or the Rays would score first. They did. Um, that the Dodgers would win. And that the Dodgers w- would win by two runs exactly. Man, that is Beautiful. a parlay. Beautiful <laughs> that is, <laughs> It was that fantastic. Is darn okay. impressive. So we're looking up college football odds and lines right now. Uh, what game do you want me to we're- look up? We're going to start with Georgia and Kentucky. I guessed that Georgia was going to be an 18-point favorite. You guessed that Georgia was only going to be a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. As of right now, (laughs) Wednesday at 2.50 p.m., Georgia is how many points? 15-and-a-half, and and the over-under is 42-and-a-half. They opened at 14-and-a-half, didn't they? I believe so. I believe so. Um, The over-under that I have is Kentucky passing yards, and I set that at a very paltry 100. Yes, I use the P word, paltry. That's good. Kentucky I, has the second worst power five passing game, 123.4 yards per game. Not good. Not good. Who's, who's Brink's behind them? Uh, is going to be a full on, like, since I'm learning all this at the same time since I've been sick, there's going to be a lot of clicking. I'll yeah. Do my best to stop it. It's, it's not Maryland, but it's, I want to say it was it was a Big Ten team who lost over the weekend and looked awful in the process. I mean, I can, Nate, it's Illinois, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Okay, close enough. Um, so I know that Kentucky fans want Joey Gatewood to be the guy, and he might actually get the start this weekend. As yeah. of this recording, we don't officially know on that. More than anything, and I, I get it, we're biased. We love neighbor Terry Wilson. I, I, w- I would love to see that guy succeed. Changed I think the whole damn career. I know we might have, but then again, I did talk to him over the summer, and he did have moments over this, you know, yeah. since then, where which he's been okay. What I want to see above all else is just some freaking creativity from Eddie Grant. Yeah, that, that's all. We talked about this the other day. You know what didn't work last year against Georgia? Lynn Bowden Anything? and a very one-dimensional <laughs> attack. And, yeah, I get it, Georgia fans. Yeah, played that game in rain, and that's why the offense couldn't get going. Think about how bad Georgia's offense was last year, and Georgia still won that game 21 to nothing. Kentucky had okay. a goose egg. Yeah, that's right, that's, Jay Woody, goose egg. Let's also talk about this though for a second, because and Georgia fans can make up all the excuses they want to, and I remember, I remember them doing so last year. I'm still not going to let them slide on on the fact that you, you played a Kentucky team that was one-dimensional. Wasn't it like 9 to nothing at half? It, oh, if that. I, I don't think – no, I don't think – did Georgia not have a touchdown until the third quarter or something like that? It I'm got pretty sure it might have been 0-0. Zero, zero. It might have it even been 0-0 zero, zero at the half. But it was like – it was something where – like like Jake Fromm was equally as bad. Yeah, it was 0-0 zero, zero at the half. It yeah. was 0-0 zero, zero at yes. the half. Um, and Jake Fromm was equally as bad, in my opinion, as, as like – I, I thought he was outplayed by Lynn, B- Lynn Bowden. Um, Fromm was 9 of 12 for 35 yards. His what QBR was 11.7. That game was terrible. It was so like, bad. Like, listen, listen to the stat line from the quarterbacks. Lynn, B- Lynn Bowden, 2 of 15 for 17 yards, still somehow had a higher QBR than, than Fromm at 13.9. The, the QBRs combined were 25.6. 
Yikes. That is just all sorts of awful. It can't yeah. be one-dimensional against Georgia. I know no. they had that game against Bama, and Bama's passing attack really got going, but Bama is is a multifaceted offensive juggernaut. That much we know. Kentucky looks like an offensive disaster at this point of the year, which is scary yep. moving forward because this was the time of year last year when they started to figure out who they were. And as I said the other day, I think Kentucky has become too entrenched in this offensive identity. And you need to see more guys getting touches. Here's a, a telling stat for Kentucky. Josh Ali has 26 catches for 293 yards. That's through five games. Kentucky is two and three. There is nobody else on Kentucky's roster through five games who has eight total catches, and there's nobody with 70 receiving yards. We're five games in. How is that yeah, possible? We, that's Well, I'll tell you, it's possible, Connor. It's possible because you've had two games in the past couple weeks where you were held to less than 160 yards of total offense. Oh, my and gosh. Like, I mean, listen, I, we should have known that that win over Mississippi State was fool's gold from the beginning because when you look at, like, what was really happening? I, I know that, it, like, it is a marvel, and it's it's something that should be applauded, and and, and you you have to win, like it, it takes all three phases of the game to win, like special teams, defense, offense. It takes four if you're playing Auburn because the refs. Mm. I'll just throw that out there. That's that's one shot. Um, but like when you have, when you're able to score on defense or special teams, like that can that can help in a lot of ways. It makes you a better team. They can also mask a lot of inefficiencies and also like you know flat out deficiencies of a team and when you have this kentucky team you i see i feel like you see this a lot i'm happy we don't see it from georgia but like them getting kiaris jackson involved in an offensive like passing game where you could really like just hone in on george pickens if you if you wanted to maybe like, who's banged up by the way going into this yeah. one george pickens is and, and so i think that like, we see this a lot where Offensive coordinators will kind of rely on one go-to guy, especially with running backs, but you see it in the passing game as well. And I don't know if that's what's happening at Kentucky. It kind of is, but though. But, my God, it, it is It is like this offense is somehow less dynamic this year without Lynn Bowden running like like at, at the quarterback spot. It's I don't know how that's possible, but, like, you would think that adding a passing attack would be easy, for one, and, two, um, would would help this offense and look better than it did last year. At, at last year's offense is still better, in my opinion, which is a sad, sad state of affairs. And I tell you what, if, if like Eddie Grant is listening, which I don't know why he would be, but if you are listening, when we say dynamic, that doesn't mean run a reverse or a jet sweep. That's not like I feel like that's another overcompensating thing <clears throat> that offensive coordinators will do a lot, where it's like. They want to get creative. They want, and so it's like a reverse pass or something stupid, like once, and you'll see it like the second quarter. They need to incorporate the passing game, and that is the only. They're not going to run the football in Georgia. They're not at all. Yeah, that's that's the troubling thing as well. And I wonder how much of what we saw this past weekend against Mizzou. We talked about this a little bit throughout the year. Blueprint games. The blueprint game that we saw Mississippi State have in that, you know, against Arkansas, where everybody all of a sudden is copying what Barry Odom did against Mississippi State and applying that to defend the air raid. I wonder now, and this plays perfectly into what Georgia would want to do. Everybody's talking about, oh, JT Daniels is going to get a chance this weekend. Is is he going to get into the game if the offense struggles? 
I think Georgia's going to run the ball a million times in this game because look at what Mizzou just did to Kentucky. Yeah, they might not have scored 30 points and had a particularly flashy (laughs) offensive day by any stretch of the imagination, (laughs) but tell me that Georgia can't replicate exactly what Mizzou did and have an even more comfortable victory against Kentucky, knowing that defense is going to continue to get them short fields. I just look at that matchup and think, you know, Georgia doesn't really have to get creative whereas Kentucky absolutely does if it wants any chance of staying in this game yeah that's fair also I don't don't disagree with that would make perfect sense for Georgia to want to keep it very basic ahead of Florida another thing to keep in mind yeah that's a very good point this spread cover that's yeah that's see that's the debate because the spread at 15 and a half suggests what Vegas Vegas is predicting this to be a very low scoring game. Over under right. on that is forty two yeah. and a half. I was I was gonna it's say begging I you to take the force. over. It's begging you. But you know what? I'm gonna still take I'm gonna take Georgia cover, but maybe like a seventeen point game where yeah. Georgia just is content. Content to play this slow style of football. That doesn't make anyone think that they're all of a sudden back and that this offense has turned the corner or anything like that. But it does enough to be able to keep Kentucky at a distance. Georgia's going to be in control of this game throughout. And they're going to let the defense do the work, especially after having a bye week when you know you're going to have the bodies to be able to do it. So I think that Georgia's going to want to play that style. I would agree with that. I'm taking taking Georgia to cover. Like, this is a perfect game where I would probably buy it down. And we talk about our friends at my bookie. You can buy up to three points at my bookie. Would you buy it down um, to thirteen? I would buy it thirteen and a half to be safe, mm. but I don't think it's going to matter. I, like it's another situation too where teasing it makes them, makes a lot of sense to me. Which yeah, I know again professionals don't like as much, um, but I, I tell you what, when it's when it's like fifteen and a half is an odd line. I I don't think it's going to matter. I I I don't think it's going to matter. And I'll tell you what, let me look at the first half spread because you guys know I love me a good first half spread. Um, it's seven and a half. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm t- jumping all over that because I, I don't hates know these offenses. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, no, no that, that's the spread. The, like the over under is 21 and a half, which is also cr- like, like last to seven. Week, yeah. Right. So last week, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Last week was, it was 23 and a half Kentucky and Mizzou. And that's the lowest first half total I've seen all year. And, and now this one's even lower. Um, it's begging you to take the over, which when Vegas is doing that, don't, uh, I, I just, I think that, I think this is, I'm trying to think here, how many years in a row they've, they've, they've gone under, like, I think you have it in the notes, it's like the third year they beat them by three or, three or more scores. I think Georgia covers the spread again. Um, Kentucky has been really good at home. I think they've covered in seven of their last nine. They're seven and two against the spread in their last nine home games. I just don't think it's going to matter against this Georgia team, especially with a week off. And and if whoever whoever is behind center, the only thing we need to see from that person is how well he hands the ball off to the backfield. <laughs> you don't think they'll have some quarterback design runs in there? I think they will. I, oh, I mean, he's he's yeah, whatever, sure. But, but I'm just saying, like at the very least, all you need to do is is hand the ball off. Yeah. LSU, Auburn. Oh man. Last That's I checked, beautiful. last I checked, LSU was a three-point favorite. Is that still accurate? Let me look it up. Was, what time is the game? Also, oh, it's at three thirty. LSU is a three-point favorite on the road against Auburn. I guessed LSU was going to be a one-point favorite. You went the other direction, and you said that Auburn was going to be a two-and-a-half-point favorite. So, and if you told me, well, they opened up where they were a favorite. Right. Auburn really? Auburn opened as the favorite? Are you sure? I'm pretty. I'm pretty confident. I don't. I could be wrong. But I'll tell you what. The other part of this too is. Um, 
when you like if you would have told me from the beginning that Auburn was going to have uh, hold on, I'm pulling it up right now. If you were to tell me from the beginning that Auburn was somehow going to be the uh, yeah, it opened up as Auburn was a two point favorite. That's what the line opened as. Wow. Yeah, I, I nailed the first three. But, like, and then I think I was way off on the other ones. But like, if if you were telling me that that TJ Finley was definitely going to be the starter, I would have I would have even you know sunk more. I would have doubled down on that, or just you know, um, really really thought that that's exactly what would have happened. And Auburn would have been favored. The fact that Auburn is at home. We just talked about how. Vegas is trying to tell you something with with the over under, Auburn at home being an underdog. With TJ Finley either, likely as a starter too. Well, no, he already that was announced. That was yeah, is. yeah, yeah. So if if you have, it, like that's either telling you that Auburn is is as bad as we all think they are, or that Vegas is counting on you to think that that Auburn is that bad. I don't know which way I would go. <laughs> With that, I, I've gone back and forth on, on this spread. I'll get to my, my pick in a, in a minute. I was just thinking about, oh, the over-under, by the way. Um, the over-under for this game. Game-changing Auburn breaks. I set the over-under <laughs> at two. Always take the over. This yeah. is like a Pac-12 after dark thing, if like that, that kind of stat. That's, that's true. Well, Remember, but, like, how creative do you think it'll be this time, Connor? Like, last okay. time we saw a pinky almost get broken. I'm glad you asked that. I'm really glad you okay. asked that because I thought about some fun new ways for Auburn to win. Yes, I'm um, excited for this. Yeah, got a handful. Just, you know, throwing this out there. You inspired me the other day. You really did. <laughs> when you talked about the, the Derek Stingley, yeah. dual possession, end of game, give it to Auburn. So, Bo Nix, outstretched arm, fumbles into the end zone. Again, a terrible rule. Terrible yeah. rule. I hate that. But Auburn still somehow gets the touchdown to win. Love it. And they don't rule that it's actually a fumble through the back of the end zone and LSU ball. Or, Auburn makes a kick to win that goes over the goalpost and it's Ooh, this, debate, this is so good connor this hey one one ref looks to the other and is like man i really didn't see it that well but it goes like perfectly over there and well, they look at each other game. and neither one of them has the answer at first and but it's they a just kick. like wait <laughs> yeah it's a kick so you know auburn's yeah. getting kick luck right um so lsu gets a pick six <laughs> but lsu maybe it's eli ricks he fist so pump, he fist pumps going into the end zone. Yeah, and he gets called back for taunting or points at a defense like a receiver. Yeah, I love this. Yes, and Auburn ends up winning as a result of that. How about this, Anthony Schwartz? Long touchdown run, but yeah. similar to that, instead yeah. Anthony Schwartz drops the ball right before he goes into the end zone. They don't even review it at all. They yeah. just decide Auburn gets it gets the extra point in there super super quickly. Touchdown. And, yeah. of course, another fine is ensuing from, you know, this time Coach O. Last one. Terrace Marshall gets mugged on a game-winning touchdown. But in typical New Orleans – well, not New Orleans. Typical yeah. Louisiana fashion, there's no call on the pass interference. Love it. And LSU yeah. loses. Okay, I can see all those happening. I See, and I'm – I mean, like, at, the way this season started, it, I, I want to give a shout-out to um, – Friend of the pod, friend friend of mine personally here, Roger Patrick Myers, uh, who brought this up the other day, and and I I, I said this to I, I think I said this either to you or um, on air, maybe I just was bitching about it to Allie, but it's a very very good point, and, and I know that like Auburn fans are think that we're you know just being hard or we're being like you know like babies about this or I'm being a baby about this since I have like like you know admitted that I'm I'm pulling against them on different times. But if you're scoring at home, this is a text I got from Roger Patrick Myers. If you're scoring at home, 
Auburn's last four SEC wins were followed by the following. Bama 2019, a rule change regarding putting time back on the clock after replay on a live ball. Talking about the, the kick at the end of the first yep. half, which somehow turned into Auburn fans feeling that they were the wronged ones because of a, a second being put back on the clock. I have no idea how, but that's the whole gaslighting thing I brought up several times. Kentucky 2020, silence regarding a clear missed touchdown call in the end zone, which as you remember, again, I bring up the gaslighting situation, which we, we, we've we been bringing up gaslighting a lot lately, like we're a dating pod because of the the, the Bachelorette, but it's it's the perfect example. Claire yeah. is Auburn. Um Silence regarding the clear missed TD call, and, and you heard going into the halftime about Gus Malzahn bitching about how they were somehow wronged because of the pick six. Arkansas 2020, rule clarification regarding a live ball following an incorrect whistle. Ole Miss 2020, a statement from the SEC regarding replay official failure. Maybe my, my absolute favorite tweet of the year, um, and I can't remember who it was from. It's, I think it was Andy, so it was somebody from the Tuscaloosa News. He said, Lane Kiffin, the SEC officials messed this up. SEC officials, yeah, we messed this up. Also, SEC officials, you owe us $25,000 for saying that we messed up. It is, I'm not going to get all heated about it again, because it already, it, I, I can tell you it's going to piss me off. Let us let me just try to say something positive about them. Higher, what, what, what's what's a higher number this weekend? Total number of tanks, Tank Bigsby broken tackles, mm. or total number of points scored by Kentucky? Gosh, that's a really good question. It's Tank Bigsby by a mile. It's gotta be. It's gotta be Tank because I would actually give him a minus seven. Like, like he's he's getting seven. I think. I think he's getting seven on LSU right? easily. Easily, yeah. he can get seven on LSU in one run. Well, I'm I'm saying like it. It wouldn't even be like side by side. It wouldn't even be even odds. Like I, I would I would give him a six. Like I, I would give Kentucky six on this one. You know what I mean? Like, Oh I'm yeah. There'd Kentucky be a spread. <laughs> yeah. There'd be a spread on it. It'd be that big uh, of a difference. You're right though. And, and that's, that's the question I have about this, this great matchup of uh, very disappointing coordinators who are <laughs> in tough situations now in year one. Yeah. Chad, Chad Morris versus Bo Pelini. This would be a more fun matchup of crap if Chad Morris didn't just realize that Tank Bigsby exists and is a human being with legs that are tree trunks. Yeah. And yes, I know we could say that his legs are tanks, but that's too cliche. We can't say that. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. He's the most appropriately named running back probably ever. Maybe, but he's not even that big. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, Tank, yeah, I agree Tank with is, you. But Tank is like a, uh, it's, it's more of, of how you stack up physically, not necessarily the mass yeah. of who you are, I think. I, I would say that there's, I could name a minimum of f- five running backs from Auburn that I've seen in my lifetime that that would better personify Tank as like the name, but he is the he is awesome to watch. Like he he's just awesome to watch. Ronnie Brown, Rudy Johnson, Cam Davis. Yeah, Cam was a really good one. That might be the number one one. All right, can we do one more over under that I have before Go we ahead. predict this game? Over under. And, and I, this is going to be, I want to say on the broadcast and in the Facebook group, over under how many times you hear it mentioned, again, whether it be on the broadcast or even Auburn fans in general, well, we held LSU's offense last year, the lowest number of points they scored all year. How many times do you hear that this weekend? I think you'll hear that once. I hear, I, you'll hear it a thousand times. That weekend, <laughs> one of the best weekends of my life. It's really. our anniversary it's a year ago. of that. I know. And it's so, it's so sad to think about that. That weekend was just so perfect. We had so many people that were just so kind to us, so yeah. welcoming. Uh, my first trip to, to Louisiana, 
it, yeah. as a whole, I'd never been to New Orleans or anything like that. I'm from Louisiana. I heard that song so much that weekend. It was great, though. Happening. I miss that. I said last, I said, like, it was earlier today, I said to, I said to Lauren, just out of the blue, I'm like, I just miss tailgating. I miss tailgating so much yeah. at this point. Tailgating at a stadium, there's just there's very few things that, that encompass all the things that tailgating does. Yeah, that's true. Oh, man. All right, now I'm sad again. Who's your uh, pick? My pick, I'm going LSU. I'm going LSU just because I think the job that Steve Ensminger has done so far is just extraordinary. And I think that Auburn's margin for error is not great. I think they have been able yeah. to get – they got away with some things, obviously, against Ole Miss besides the obvious. Yeah. But I think that LSU can put them on their heels in a different sort of way. I don't know that Auburn has anyone who can shut down Terrace Marshall. There might not be anybody, including the guys on his own team, who can shut down yep. Terrace Marshall at this point. He's playing at that high of a level. I think that LSU with the with Edsminger's game plan is going to put TJ Finley in some favorable spots again. Really liked what we saw from the ground game as well last week. I think they can be a little bit more balanced. I think LSU covers three. Uh, so... Listen, and I know that a lot of Auburn fans are going to hate hearing this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on board. I'm full. You know what? This is 2013 all over again. Oh, God boy. is an Auburn fan. I am, I am fully on board that Auburn is going to win the SEC. They're going to get to the SEC championship. I think they're going to backdoor their way into the national championship game. Because I've, as I've seen already in, in, in however many games they've played that they shouldn't have won. Already, I mean, like, think about how young this season is, Connor. Think, like, imagine telling yourself that five games in, sixty-seven percent of your wins were 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 wrong. They shouldn't, like, it, like, just painstakingly, like, like, flat out, a hundred percent, black and white truth, should not have won. And they won. They found a way. I mean, the refs found a way. I think Auburn is the team to beat in the SEC. Stop and until it. until I see anything else that proves me wrong or or I see the officials actually make the correct calls on the field, I'm going to maintain this for the rest of the season. I, I think So Bama's I mean, losing Bama's losing the Iron Bowl in an additional Yeah, game. without a doubt. Well, they did, well, you saw it last year, Connor. You saw it last year. They already lost. They shouldn't have lost. They should, I, 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 will, I will take that to my grave. They shouldn't have lost last year's Iron Bowl, but we had to add three. We had to add a second on the clock. Who's, for who's the other? Reason. Who's the other game that that Bama's gonna? Who, what's the other game that Bama's gonna lose? Shut up, Connor. Just let me do what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. Um, regardless, I forgot they had a two two game lead. Regardless, yeah, uh, yeah you know, I'm listen. I, I until until. I, it's proven otherwise that the SEC officials can go out on a, on a field, I would say neutral, but this is a home game. I'm talking about a home game at Auburn? There's absolutely no way I'm picking against Auburn. They're going to win by one point. If, if there was a margin by less than one point, I, I would pick it. But you know what? I just, I don't, why would I keep buying into something that is proven time and time again to just be a waste of time? The officials doing the right thing. So until then, I'm just going to say they're going to win every game they play. Game of the week in the SEC, Ole Miss and Vandy. Oh, yeah, you know it. Ole Miss, 16.5-point favorites. I guessed Ole Miss minus 12.5. You guessed 17.5. You take the win on that. I'm so good at this right now. You're very good at this right now. Again, too good at this right now. I, the next three I was way off on. The I remember over, picking one for Albert, for Bama. Uh, we did. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, though. Okay. The over-under I have is references to Lane's 
fine of $25,000 for not only speaking out against the officials, but Unreal. also for posting on social media repeatedly and just kind of tweeting through his fine in a way that only Lane could. By the way, in case you missed it. He retweeted it, us. Hot on the streets right now. Go buy a Penny Lane t-shirt. Get over to our friends at Breaking Tea, SDS. Get over the, to the, the, the SDS. Yes, get, the get SDS. Get over to SDS link. and look at our Twitter and, and, and click that link. Make sure it's that link it's from a fire our SDS shirt. Twitter page. It is a yeah, fire shirt. It's a shirt. fire shirt. Shout out to Kevin Duffy. All the all the the props go to him because he was telling me about this and I hadn't I hadn't seen the tweet from Lane, so I had no idea what he was talking about. Oh, and again, like beautiful. I've been sick, so I'm just sitting there, I'm like, I don't even understand what you're saying. Like, what are you talking about? And then I see like like later in the day, Kiffin retweets us again and and is like like it's a fire shirt you need to get the shirt for sure but like it is a collaboration with our friends at breaking tea make sure you go to sds twitter uh or it, we're also obviously um showing it like on on our website as well but click that link specifically um so we get some kind of credit for it and uh and and get the penny lane shirts because it is fire lane's gonna have one i i cannot wait to see lane wear one at a presser that's happening so yeah that's happening very very soon imagine getting 25 a twenty five thousand dollar fine for being right about something it's unreal it's incredible yeah. but you know who i'm thinking is going to benefit the most from this and it's not the sec for getting that twenty five thousand dollars from lane it is whoever is on the call for this game now has oh, yeah. so much content lane related to be able to talk about. That's why the over under for references is is three. Yep. You got to mention at least once a quarter, pretty much, because I think this game is probably going to be a snoozer. For he the is most going part. to absolutely obliterate this team. Angry Lane, Angry Lane. We get to see it. It's going to be great. I, I'm looking forward to that. I think we get a heavier dose of John Rice Plumley. He had a season high nine scrimmage touches. Last week, it's <laughs> so ridiculous. I know. I thought he, I thought he had more. Surprising that through the first four games, his season-long carry was seven yeah. yards. That's it. Heading into that That's game stupid. last week, and finally he broke out last week. Um, I think we see at least five John Rice Plumley passes. His season high is one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that the old Miss defense, who hasn't been terrible the last two weeks. I mean, they've actually not. They've actually been like for well, that secondary was horse. You know, I'll say it. it's the first one of the whole thing. We got to make sure that Will bleeps this because there was several that were missed last time. It's that they, comes back to like, you. That comes back. That, to you, yeah, that's doubt. <laughs> you curse twenty times in a podcast. You better tell the producer about all twenty of them. Did you see his response by the way when he said somebody was like somebody? I think it's Dakota Carter made a comment and it was like my face when when Marler like cusses and it wasn't bleeped out from will and it's like this like eyes got real big and he's like to be will said to be fair if mac jones goes 17 of 18 you still consider it a good day and i was like that's that's spot on um i think that this game specifically you're right the defense has looked better they've looked better but that, that i can't get over how bad that secondary looked in that last drive against bonex i mean like you allowed the highest yards per attempt and and i think completion percentage from bonex in any game he's ever started right I believe so. And there were very high percentage throws. I think it was something like 6.8 yeah. yards per attempt or something like that. Which but. is not saying much, obviously. But um, I, I just think that Lane, like, I'm trying to think of the best way to, to like, characterize this or, or, you know, with, like, a meme or something like that or a, a movie reference. But, I mean, he is going to absolutely make an example out of Vanderbilt. And, and Vanderbilt does not have the athletes outside of our boy Mac Hereford. He does not – they do not have the athletes on the field – 
to compete with Ole Miss. And, and I, I think the East going to run like? them ragged. Yeah. How is how is Vandy going to be in shape after they had their shutdown as well? Yeah. Vandy's been off for the last two weeks. And to ask a, a true freshman quarterback to try and stay with this Ole Miss offense is not going to be ideal, I think. So, any, yes, Ole Miss rolls. If there's any coach that would, like, that would refuse to take their foot off the gas after what just happened, it's Lane. It, yes. this, this is like the same thing I brought up against the Bama team, like going from Bama to Arkansas, where it's like when he has a point to prove, he is so damn dangerous and scary. Yep. And yes, he yes. has a point to prove this weekend. Mississippi State, huge, <laughs> huge road dog against Alabama. I'll be honest, man. I did not think that this spread would be anywhere near this. I guess Alabama no. would be a 20-point favorite, and you guessed 18 and a half. Bama, 30 and a half point favorite what time is this game even at oh this seven. is oh. yeah this is a night game so it's you can't even use the maybe it's a sleepy start for bama yeah. no i man over under that i have mississippi state interceptions thrown i set the over under at three now keep in mind that's that's how many interceptions mississippi state is averaging per game this year three three per game do you remember you of course i know you remember this i'm just like I, that's kind of a, just a figure of speech. I know you remember in 2015 when Maryland threw 29 interceptions. It no. was incredible. In a I game? Mean, no, no, in, in the that season. And that, that I think, I think that was in a game. I think that was it was something. <laughs> if it wasn't a Power Five record, it was close to it. Maryland throwing interceptions that year was like. <sighs> The reason to watch Maryland every single week. They had nobody yeah. playing quarterback. It was terrible. But Mississippi State is on pace to pass that They've in a 10 game season. They've thrown 12 in four games. I ooh, That's bad. I, I, I think that um, they're in trouble. They're in trouble this weekend because, like, I think that you're going to see a Bama team that is, I don't think they're going to be angry like Lane, like we were talking about that. But that that's a defense. I said this. I said this. After the Georgia game, and I can't remember if it was you that disagreed with it or if it was somebody I saw on, on TV that disagreed with it, but I was like, I brought up the point. I said, this Bama team is really good, and, and someone was like, well, they're unbeatable. I was like, yeah, unless there's injuries. And, and the response was like, even even if they had injuries. Jalen Waddle is a difference maker, and I think that you're going to see an offense that's going to try out a lot of new things um, before going into the bye week. Do they, do they get a bye week? Bama gets a bye week. Or would Bama get a bye week? I'm saying, like, do they get a bye week next week? Because I know there was like, a schedule change. Yeah, so I believe I think they still, still get a bye week for LSU. So I, I think LSU the doesn't week, get the bye week, is what it is. Good, that works out perfectly. Uh, love it. All the stars are lining. This is beautiful. Um, but I, I think that I think that Bama has. They're going to have to try out some new things on offense because because knowing full well that Jalen Waddle is not going to be there is is not something that's going to be as easily solvable, I guess, as they had against Tennessee. I, I mean, I'm not saying that Slade Bolden is going to be going on go routes. 13 times this game, but like they're gonna that offense is gonna look a little bit different. They're gonna be trying some new things out. I think they're gonna put it on them pretty bad. Mississippi State's run defense is actually good. Um, yeah, the spread is is telling, really, really telling at this point. Yeah. Bama just lost arguably its best player on its team. Um, maybe it's probably its most versatile game changer yeah. type of player. Jalen Waddle is Mississippi State is coming off of a bye week, and Alabama is still a 30 and a half. Point well, we favorite. should talk about why that that's so happening because that that speaks to what's going on at Mississippi State right now, which is Man. a mass exodus. Kylan Hill reportedly sitting out the rest of the year. Just a bizarre 
question and answer to see Leach talk about that. And he's like, well, he hasn't told me about that. But, you know, if he's if he's opted out, you're like, we, we wish him well, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, this is your best player. What, what, yeah. That's not a good answer. Even, I, even if it's a situation in which Kylan Hill, who reportedly had this blow up after the Kentucky loss, and that's what led to a lot of what's been going on, even if that's the case, you should. that's a really bad sign moving yeah. forward for any running back that you're going to try and recruit. When that was your big thing that you were bragging about this entire offseason, you're going to make Kylan Hill into this NFL back. He's going to be the next Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He's going to do some things that are just different, more of the 2020 mold for a running back I, in mean, the NFL. I mean, I was told he was going to replace all of his carries with touches out of the backfield. I, like, I, I, you know. With catches out of – yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how, how – that could have fallen apart that quickly. When, yeah. from one standpoint, Kylan Hill knew what he was getting into. From another standpoint, Mike Leach, that's your best player. And sooner yeah. or later, if you keep failing, you maybe want to cater your offense a li- just a little bit to be able to, but, to fit your best player and what he does well. I don't know. That's just a thought. No, I mean, what you're saying, again, Connor, don't approach this with logic, logic and reason. Logic and reason. Yeah. It's dumb. I tell you this every week. But, like, you're right, but at the same time, Mike Leach is never, he was never going to be the guy that was going to come in here and bend, like I hate to say bend the knee because that's so overdramatic, but like he was not going to bend any of his rules or any of his ways or any of his personality to conform with them. Like Again, like we thought the Joe Moorhead thing was, was a bad fit. This is, not, I, I saw that little glimmer. I've been there. holding so back. Excited. I have been holding back this entire time. Yeah. My desire to say, you know, who never had a three-game stretch this bad on the offensive side of the ball? Sure. I'm, I'm just saying. But also, they thought that that was a personality clash. And and like, listen, it's a splashy hire. It could not have started any better. I mean, this is like Millie Vanilli type level of. <laughs> dang it! Hold on. Um, where where he has like. He's come in. He's a one-hit wonder, it seems like, as of right now. He's not going to win this Saturday, in my opinion. I would be shocked if, if – I mean, he could happen, sure. He's going to throw the ball against a secondary that has not been great. But, like, I, I just wonder, when you hired when you hired Moorhead, and, and I hated what Moorhead said when he was on thin ice, and I think that that was fully understandable why they let him go. When you replace him with a guy that is – this cavalier with his words and and like really takes pride i mean it's like i'm not getting political here but it's kind of like a donald trump type situation where he like from a personality standpoint of he's brash he's gonna say stuff that people don't agree with he's kind of polarizing when it comes to that with different people again this is not political this is just from a personality standpoint where he's gonna say stuff that rubs people the wrong way on on one hand and the same thing that said is gonna make other people be like yeah i love it i love i love what he's saying He's also a guy that's not going to change. He's he's old enough, I think, where he's set in his ways. Where I I, I just I wonder how in big picture because Kylan Hill, that makes sense to me that he's leaving. Right? He's a running back. He's not seeing the same kind of production that he was going to get. Like, what's the point now? He's in this very odd limbo where he can still go get money right now. Like, if you go put money in his pocket right now and then and get trained for the NFL, the one that surprises me the most is Tyrell Shavers. You're talking about a four-star kid transferring from Bama to here seemingly been a great fit in their offense and now if you have a six five receiver leaving this offense what's going on it's a bad sign it's a bad sign you knew that there was going to be a shift in that quarterback room and as we find out in the last week garrett schrader true freshman starter for this team 
transferring yeah. after he made the switch to receiver. Jalen Maiden, a guy that was a, a big-time recruit for Joe Moorhead, transferring. This quarterback room was inevitably going to get a major overhaul because Joe Moorhead and Dan Mullen ran systems that were similar but different. Right. Mike Leach was always going to run something totally different. So you can look at that and say, well, he's got to be able to get his personnel in there, and this is just expediting the process. At the same time, there's no way that this thing is going to look all of a sudden night and day better in year one. It's yeah. just not going to. They don't have the guys there, especially in the offensive line. That's the biggest issue right now. If you can't yeah. block anyone in this league, you don't have a chance, and that's the issue that I see. Christian Barmore is going to be able to have three guys, uh, three guys against this team. It's, they it's didn't terrible. Have a single, they didn't have a single quarterback pressure last week. Oh, it's coming this week. I'll tell you well, that. It better. There's going to be some problems going on that D-line. I'll tell you that much. That spread is that high, and I'm still taking Bama. I'm not banking on Mississippi State to, to adjust. Yeah. I don't care if it's if it's 30 and a half. I think when you have that many those that much disconnect within your locker room, you are not ready to play in this conference, and you are definitely not ready to play a team like Alabama. Yeah, I, I'm gonna. I'm trying to look up Mike Leach coming off a bye. Um, You're gonna find that stat that quickly? I don't know. Maybe. Um, here, here you go. Here's here's how Mike Leach has fared. Oh damn it! This is from like 2014, isn't it? No, it's from 2019. It's oh, okay. from Coog fan. Um, anyway, so okay, hold on, real quick. Um, ooh, yikes. coming off the Pac-12 is five and nine coming off a bye in the Pac-12 at Washington State as of last year. Um, I'll take Bama, I guess. Then I, I don't like that. Talk to into it, okay? Yeah, well, yeah, that, it did because like you'd want to think too that like. Good teams and good coaches, when you have time to prepare, um, you know, you're able to either circle the wagons, rally rally the troops, whatever you want to say. Good cliches. He's done like the that. total opposite of that. Like, he's he's done the total opposite of that. It, it just, I don't think that's a good look. Circle the wagons. I see what you did there. Yeah. Get it? A little bandwagon. Oh, bandwagon. That's, yeah. yeah. I was not yeah. trying to do that, but I do love puns. So that is fine. That did not age well. Yeah. Mizzou, Florida. Florida, I guessed, was going to be an 11-point favorite. You guessed 10.5. The verdict is Florida is a 13-point favorite for this one. So this rivalry, I always – this is one of those games that when I do the crystal ball every single year, yeah, I'll be honest, I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure many Florida fans are guilty of doing this as well. You look past this one. You look past it right away, and it's one of those games that you would never think, oh, yeah, I'm sure these teams have totally split the matchups since Mizzou joined the SEC. That is the case. It is a 4-4 four to four even split since Mizzou joined the SEC. Those last seven games were all decided. Say that again, Connor. Say that again. Those last seven games were all decided by at least three scores. It's a weird, weird rivalry that... We have games no, in 2018. No, can't call it a rivalry. It's, it's Missouri. Like, I mean, They're we'll, not very good. Fine, we'll call it a matchup. We'll call it a matchup. We have games like 2018 where Drew Locke comes out. He's never beat a road team before. And yeah. Florida's feeling good about itself. And then Canada all Mizzou does. orange for the first time in decades. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. And then Mizzou just boat races them. And you're like, well, that was that was weird. And this, this rivalry has been... I don't want to say it's been totally unpredictable because I think even you look at last year what happened where Florida wins that game was like 23 to 6 
And you're like, okay, you know, Mizzou's defense, we, we know now, was actually better than we gave it credit for. Right. Florida still wins that game comfortably. But at the same time, is this an expect the unexpected type of game for you? Um, no, I think I think Florida coming off two bye weeks better get their blank together. Um, and I think they will. I, I think I th- well, I don't know. We, this would this would shock me less than Drew Locke because Drew Locke was a guy that like I mean that who was the receiver? Who was the receiver that's so damn good and they only had for like half the year? Oh, that's right. And uh, I'm blank. Adam Spencer's going to kill us for this. Yeah. He, signed, he signed this like an undrafted free agent with the Packers, I believe, too. He was like the best receiver, Mizzou receiver 2018. Hold on. And it was like, it's when, like something like Hall or something like that. When he was um, on the field, they were extraordinary when he was off it. This is, this is our brains after. Emmanuel two, Hall. Emmanuel Hall. There you go. Yeah. There's too many names. You're right. I, I, yeah. There's a lot of names to remember. A lot of Damn, names. I signed a, I got a commitment from a kid named Kool-Aid the other day. Like, there's just so much room in my, my brain anymore. Um, anyway, that being said, this this offense is a little bit different. Um, I don't think it has the home run capability of of that team. This this team could beat you in more ways, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I tell you what, if if Mizzou has a lead going into the second half of this game, Florida Florida fans, you guys better better brace yourselves for a an ending where it does not look pretty. Like like if Mizzou has a lead going into the fourth quarter. I, I, I say this all the time, but like from a gambling standpoint, live betting, I would live bet the blank out of like an underdog. Usually, I would take the I would take Mizzou in a heartbeat because if they're able to get to a position where they can run the ball and lean on that running game with Larry Roundtree against this defense, this defense hasn't been able to stop anybody. I mean, anybody. And and we thought maybe at first it was like, well, you know, Ole Miss is a really dynamic offense. Surely that won't that won't translate into more games. No, it has. Like, they're they're one loss to A and M. And you think about how that vaulted A&M into the position they're in now. All they had to do was stop the run. That's all they had to do. Could not do it. I, and I, Caleb like, Chapman also went off. Yes, sure. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, he had, a, he had a monster game for A&M. He got injured in that game as well. Yeah, fair. So, um, regardless, I, I, I'm just saying that, that, that the, all they had to do was stop the run. They couldn't do it. And if they find themselves behind in a shootout against Mizzou... I would I would take Mizzou. Now, that being said, they've had two weeks to prepare for this game. They have not had the the whatever the opposite of luxury would be in terms of having to prepare for like three teams in five days, like whatever Mizzou was doing last Mizzou, week. Mizzou, one of those teams was Florida. So I mean, oh, so, oh, that's good then. Yeah. Um, I, I I think that Mullen can figure it out. I pray for Florida fans and for his own job that Grantham can figure it out. But I don't think this is a cakewalk at all. By the way, over under. I forgot to say this earlier. Over under uh, combined touchdowns from Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony. Florida fans be happy to know Kadarius Tony leading the team in catches. How about that? Yeah, it's about I, damn time. I said the over under at three. Oh, over. Yeah. Okay. They have a combined eleven this year. Eleven. That is That's really really good through three games. Yeah. All right, last game of the week for us: Arkansas A and M. Not being played in Jerry World. That's going to feel weird. Hate it. So along those lines, the clips of non-Arlington Stadium shots. Uh, Arlington Arlington is where the game is being played. I can't speak right now. Wait, where is it being played? It's being played in College Station. It's being played at a Oh, uh, okay, yeah. So I set that over under at one and a half, meaning the times that this game was not played 
in Jerry yeah. World. Like they're going to hark back to that those times, which that the last time that happened was 2012. Johnny Manziel. People forget that. I'm so confused, but I'll say over. Just take the over. That's fine. Um, I explained that horribly. AM, 12 and a half point favorites. I guessed that AM was going to be a 12 point favorite. You guessed between nine and a half, but you said that it'll move down a point and then it'll rise back up. Has that Do happened? You know, uh, so I said, what I said was it was going to, um, it was going to, this is going to be my favorite line because it was going to open up around like 11 and a half, go down, and then go back up as near game time. Um, what time is this? So this line opened at 15. Wow. <laughs> Got down to 12. Um, well, it's, it's down to 12 now. I, I don't know if it got down to 11 and a half, but this, this has done exactly what I thought it would do. Um, it went down, and now it's going back up again. It, in some places, it got down to 10, it says. Jeez. Um, High on the hogs. Yeah, but it got it got back up now. So I'm looking at it on my bookie to be on the safe side here. Um, and uh, I can't find it. Okay, it's at 12 on my bookie. So, yeah, it did exactly what I thought it would do. A&M is one. Eight straight games. Eight straight. Five of the last six decided by one score, though. It's a, we're talking about weird matchups in the SEC. Yeah. This is another one of those. My this question, is always a really good, really good game. It is. It, it always is. A&M can never quite put its foot on the gas against Arkansas, even when it seems like this matchup should be a little bit more lopsided. Two weeks for Barry Odom's defense to get ready to go oh for... An AM offense that it's not necessarily the most dynamic that they face, but it's diverse in that they have such a unique one-two punch right now out of the backfield with Isaiah Spiller and Ania Smith. Mm-hmm. It's almost a little bit like what Mizzou is trying to do right now with Larry Roundtree and Tyler Beatty, where they, they have these guys who are true high-volume guys. I mean, they rely on them a lot. It's not just like one of these... Uh, backfield committees where they kind of rotate a guy and like, no, these guys are on the field at the same time. You'll see them doing a lot of different things. And that's not to say that they're interchangeable, but that is at the top of every scouting report and is for an A&M team that, you know, we questioned what the pass catching game was going to really look like this year. This has become their identity. So how is Arkansas with how well prepared it has been in its first four matchups, how prepared Will it look to face those two guys? Is my big question. Um, I mean, I would think very prepared. I like. I, I, this is this is like one of the better matchups I think of the week. Like, it's not going to get as much love as it should. Like, I mean, like from a national standpoint, I think from the SEC, this is one of the best matchups hands down. I agree. Like you, I mean, you brought it up. Like, also, I didn't even realize what you meant when you said eight straight wins, but five of the last six by by single digits. I thought you meant A and M is one. For some reason, I thought you meant like in a row, just in general. But I forgot they had lost a game this season. Um, you could go back to even 2010 because that's, uh, again, outside of the game in 2012, every single one of these games has been by two scores or less. And and outside of 2012 and 2013, well, actually, and 2016, seven of the last ten have been by a touchdown or less. Like, that's crazy. That's a, it's, Five it's of the last six always, by one score. Yeah. yeah. And you talk about like how that 2017 game, it, it, it always seems like, for whatever reason, 2017, 2014, 2013, there's like this very high scoring affair, and and I don't I don't know why necessarily. I I think that we could see that again, despite how good Barry Odom's defense is. There's always hmm. seems to be like a special teams or defensive score as well. Like I'm, I'm th- thinking back of like Dejon Harris. I know how to scoop and score. Christian Kirk, yeah, I believe, Christian had Kirk. a special teams touchdown. Yeah. yeah. So I, I this there always seems to be like some kind of extra 
thing that happens uh, to decide who wins this game. So who, who, in my opinion, is the better overall team, top to bottom, is who's going to win this game. I, I, is Felipe Franks able to expose that young secondary? That is, looks better. Um, I, I don't know. Like this is this is a game where you'd really like to see like Raheem Boyd be a factor yeah, for Arkansas I agree. fans. A week more to get him healthy could be important. With yeah, really, and I'm not saying this to bash on the kid, but really with how little that they've got from him, I, I think yeah. this could take this offense to a different to a different sort of level that it really hasn't quite been on yet. Though Traylon Burks so has many been other bright spots, and I don't understand how he has not been one of them. Yeah, it, it is amazing to think about, and that's a testament to what Arkansas has been able to do so far. I don't think Arkansas gets pushed around at the line of scrimmage. I think that that ship has really? sort of sailed. That that's their automatic weakness every single week. I think if you're if you're getting pushed around at the line of scrimmage, your your numbers defending the run are really going to show. And I know that they didn't do particularly well defending the run against Auburn, but I still think that what they what they are able to do defensively, especially defending the pass, kind of has forced offenses to be a little bit more one-dimensional. It, it really has. Yeah. So I, I think Arkansas definitely stays with, with A&M. Ultimately, I think A&M, though, wins this game and Kellen Mond's legs are the difference. Even with Grant Morgan as a potential spy, I think we see A&M convert big third downs and they keep Arkansas on the field and not necessarily allowing Arkansas to thrive off these takeaways, yeah. which they've been prone to do early on. We saw how that impacted Kentucky when they also weren't getting those. Another one-score game, I think, but A&M wins again. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Actually, I, actually, I don't. I think A&M um, is able to kind of blow them out in this Ooh. one. Uh, and I don't know why. I think that when you have an offense, like like we're really high on, on Arkansas right now because of a couple of things, and, and I, I – this has been the best story in the SEC, maybe in the country, for real. Like it's Agreed. been outside of the chance of clears at Coastal Carolina, which I mean, who doesn't love a good chance? Go, go Shant. Go. <laughs> that was really good. Go Shant. Um, that's how you have to say it. That's really good. Yeah. So I, I think that <laughs> all I think about when I hear chance clear real quick is is from a league of their own when they the bus driver like quits in the middle of the shift and he goes mr blah shan't be returning that's all i think about when i hear chanticleer anyway moving on not important so this game you would really like to have a rakeem boyd to be able to kind of you know give yourself a balanced attack we talked about earlier like it's always seems like who's a more well-rounded team i think i think a and is a more well-rounded team and, and we talk about a team like arkansas who's who's been like the best story we've had in the sec and a lot of it going into that that game against Ole miss where they were an underdog like they 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 had every per, they were the perception of the underdog right like going into that game because the line opened at three and it went all the way down though to they were favored so technically Arkansas was favored to win that game and they did so based off of six interceptions I don't see that happening in this game I don't see it happening really at any other point the rest of the year it's it's, it's in College Station it's in College Station that's the biggest thing for me and I, I think that I think that the, Arkansas keeps this game close for the first half for sure but. In College Station, at home, we talked about time and time again how much better Jimbo is at home and how much better Kellen Mond is at home. 50,000 people there, yeah, probably. 50,000 people, and that's just <laughs> behind the bench. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, you're right. That is that is a real question for the over-under. Um, <laughs> I think that A&M gets it done. I think they're able to pull away. And and I hate to say it. I just, I think that now that you start getting into the season and, and Arkansas is not a team where, where you're going to allow – Teams that don't prepare as well, like like teams that that kind of kind of 
nonchalantly just like go into these games. Chantalantly. Yes, exactly. Very good point. <laughs> Isn't that a song by the Big Bopper? Sure. Um, what a reference. Uh, first off, you don't have Big Boppers? Come on. Let's not go there. Okay. So, anyway. But I, I think that this is a this is a game where Arkansas has done... Like, the whole thing about them not being taken seriously or, like, them being taken lightly from teams, like, from a preparation standpoint, is over. Like, they've, they've jumped up enough times already this season where they have earned respect from other coaches and staff... That, that you're not going to overlook this team anymore. And I think when you have A&M having a, you know, an extra week to prepare, you have Arkansas, I know they've had extra time to prepare as well. I think you're going to see a low-scoring game in the first half, but then A&M will cruise in the second half and win, win by 17 or more. You made that reference to League of Their Own. How slow as a human being does one have to be to not see someone standing in front of them pick up dirt and then throw the dirt yeah. at their face? I, that that blows me away. That's the slowest reaction time that we have ever seen in the history of yeah. cinema. Just baffling. Well, besides besides maybe um, some of the bat speed, but yeah, other than that, it was it was pretty bad. There's some decent bat speed in that movie. Some decent. I tell bat you what, that's it's still the best baseball movie of all time. I don't. I think you're not going to agree with it. It's the best baseball movie of all time. And, I love and, League of Their Own. It's. A I don't think it's. I don't think it's movie. the best baseball movie of all time, but I think it's really good. Real quick, who's the best baseball? What's the best baseball swing? Because what it pisses me off about baseball movies, and we're gonna get into this real quick, because we're done with the games, right? We're done with the games. Sure. Okay. We're, I mean, we're gonna get into other stuff, but like, like real quick, this I I can't stand watching baseball movies because they always seem to get the baseball part wrong. Like it's Hook. either rookie of the year. Okay. Yeah. To be honest, that scene is is garbage. But like rookie of the year. Both of them. But as far as pirate daddy issue movies go, it's it's a top five. Connor, sure. What you say. Sure. So so. There's like, it's either a league of their own, not league of their own. It's either it's either rookie of the year or, or little big league where there's like a left-handed shortstop or second baseman. Always drove me crazy. I, like, what's the best baseball mechanics or, or player you've seen in any baseball movie ever? Ken Griffey Jr. Little big league. Okay, from Duh. not a baseball player. Yeah. Hmm. I think rookie of the year has some moments at least. Janitor playing first base. Janitor from Scrubs looks pretty good over there. He can actually the throw the ball around foul a little bit. In the end of that movie, Connor, you can see the hand in the same shot throw the ball up. Yes, you definitely can. It. Oh, you definitely yeah. can. You're 100 percent right. It's it's terrible. But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the frustrating thing whenever we watch yeah. sports movies is that I, I spend the entire time picking them apart and it's right. You're just like, why why couldn't they spend <laughs> just just spend 20 minutes researching this? And I promise yeah. you would have you would have done better with it. Kevin Cosner played minor league baseball. So him hitting a home run opposite field at the end of Bull Durham is like the most impressive. I got an unpopular take. Oh, tell me. Bull Durham's not that good. It's not. It's not. I watched it two months ago. It's not. And I've watched it I've watched it probably four times in my life. And every single time, the two movies, and I'm gonna get crap for this, I don't care. The two movies that I'm telling you, if they came out today, they would bomb in the box office, Bull Durham and Caddyshack. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna get with you on Caddyshack. Not like, I mean, maybe today you're right, but like, I, I just there's just I, I thought it was funny. It, it wasn't like there was moments where I was like, yeah, this is stupid, like the Gopher thing. But it came out in 1980. Bull Durham, it blows my mind because there's there's so many parts about it. Like I, I remember, like I remember playing baseball and seeing so many like stupid ass like baseball like, quotes, like people's like Facebook. Remember when Facebook added your profile for the first time and it's like you put your favorite quotes. And there was nobody with any substance enough that had, like, favorite quotes from, like, actual good people. It was just, like, my favorite quotes from Bull Durham when he's, like, talking about all the inappropriate stuff. I believe in the whatever. 
It was ridiculous. And I tell you what's worse than that is the one where he was the guy who got his arm cut off or whatever when he pitched for Detroit, Detroit Tigers in Yankee Stadium. For the that was the worst game. movie of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that. What was that? I think there was one. Oh, also, I distinctly remember being the only eight-year-old in theaters watching Rookie of the Year when he goes to pull off his glove and it says M.A. And it's like very obvious to it's everyone a big reveal. watching it. It's going to be Mary, his mom's name, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, and I yelled out, Maze! It's going to be Willie Maze! <laughs> no one, no one was on board with that. You're a popular kid, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> totally right. right. love going to the movie theater with Marler. <laughs> All right. Before we get to our lock of the week and our interview with Tate Casey, Marler, tell us about our good friends at MyBookie, who we just referenced oh. about six different times. Yeah, well, I already did tell you about my our friends at MyBookie because they are definitely my friends right now, especially with what happened uh, last night and me hitting three for three. I mean, the fact that you could even bet on the exact point total was fantastic or run, to, uh, run total was fantastic, and you could do that all this weekend. Um, games start today as you're hearing this. this. This will come out on Wednesday night, Thursday morning. There's football on today. There's football on tomorrow. There's football on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I'm not I'm, – I'm pretty sure we might start getting action – Next week, Connor. I just We're about flip to... on ESPN on a Tuesday night and pray that there's action. That's what I've been doing for the last two months. I Yeah, it's fair. I, they're, they're, we're, get, we're getting into the sweet spot where you're able to watch football seven days a week, and, and you know that sweet spot means for me being able to gamble on football seven days a week as well, and nobody is better to gamble with than our friends at MyBookie. Uh, get on over to MyBookie today and use the promo code SDS. They will double your initial deposit. Um, and make yourself some money. We, we've been giving away picks all week. And listen, we talked about the staff picks. I'm only going to apologize for them so much because those are games that I wouldn't necessarily even bet on. Do yourself a favor. Log on to SDS, okay? Not log on. Log on to the interwebs. Go to SDS every Thursday. Talk to our, or go look at our friend Michael Calabrese, his weekly article betting stuff. It's fantastic. Then go on to Twitter on Saturday. Look at my picks. Listen to Connor's Lock of the Week, which has been on fire still, has right? Been. Has been. Yeah, exactly. So, and you can make all that money over at MyBookie. Start saving up for some Christmas money immediately. And I'm not talking about for your friends and family, okay? For yourself. There's going to be some great sales right now. This is, the economy's been down. Get yourself some Christmas money to spend on you, boo. Do you. Treat yourself and start with it today at MyBookie. Treat yourself 2011. People know that. People know that reference. Yeah, right? Lock of the week is either at four and one or five and zero, oh, depending on how you bet that hit it's spread. Five and zero, oh, bro. All right, five and zero. Oh. We'll stick with it because Malik Willis. Yeah, as you heard me say the other day, that was money in the bank. You knew it. Shouty, what you drink? However, he deserved a. a he, he he earned himself a week off. He's got a bye week, so I can't bet on Malik Willis again. I'm not I'm not crazy about my other go to our good friend Sean Elliott at Georgia State, only getting two and a half against. Red Hot, Coastal Carolina. Don't like that. Don't like that. Yeah. What I do like, going out to the Big 12. Doing something. I usually don't mess with Big 12 spreads on this. I usually don't. You shouldn't. Yeah, makes sense. Oklahoma minus 11 against, no, not minus 11. Minus 14. Take 14 against oh, Texas nice. Tech. It's an odd pick. I know. I know. Yeah. Sooners have won two straight after that really bad start. They're coming off of their best defensive performance of the year against TCU. Yeah, I know. It's only TCU still. Texas. No, TCU's played them within one score in like the last nine games in a row or something. And they look good. They look good again yeah. last week. Texas Tech is 1-3 against teams who aren't Houston Baptists. I, I know, I know. They took Texas to overtime. They just beat West Virginia, whatever. Ever since that epic Baker Mayfield-Pat Mahomes game in 2016, the game that gets brought up all the time, 
Oklahoma's beat Texas Tech by an average of 22 points. Yes, I believe Oklahoma can cover minus 14. Lincoln Riley, make me some money. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, okay. We're going back to the well. We're going back to the well for the lock of the week. Ohio State first know, half. Ohio State first half is minus seven, and I love that. I absolutely love it. I'm going to take it, but that's not my lock of the week. Okay. My lock of the week, we're going back down to Tigertown. We're going We're going just over the line, you know, and talking about Passanova Lake. I don't even know what lake it is. Um, whatever the lake Technically, is. Technically, Oklahoma was Tigertown, so we're still in Tigertown because Tiger, you know, Tiger King is Oklahoma, but... Also true. But yes, there's an actual bar called Tiger Town in Clemson, South Carolina. We're going back to to the fake Death Valley, uh, just clad in orange and purple. I've said it once. I'll say it again. Clemson is 6-0, Connor. That means in 16 of their past 18 regular season games, they have not allowed a single point in the first quarter of a game. I told you last week, the lock was not Clemson in the first half. And thank God you listened. I hope you did because the the, the first half was like 27 and a half. And that did not happen. They did not look good in that second quarter. But you know when they did look good? The first quarter, Connor. Yep. As they were up 17-0 at home against Syracuse. For whatever reason, the line is 7.5. First quarter at home against BC. BC's a pretty good team. They're 4-2. and two, But they're on the road for a noon kick in Death Valley. I got to take, take everything that I've been preaching about for, for however long. In the last 18 regular season games, Clemson has given up a total of 10 points. 10! Only one touchdown. That was Georgia Tech. I I think even if they give up a touchdown, they still cover the first quarter spread. My lock of the week, Clemson minus 7.5 first quarter. That's it? Only one lock of the week? I'm surprised. I got got a bunch coming. We'll save it for Saturday. Let's save it for Saturday. We're running long anyways. We'll save it for Saturday. Watch Facebook Live with Uncle Chris on Saturday morning. Great interview with Tay Casey. I uh, got into a lot of stuff about Florida, national championship teams, kind of current issues that are facing Florida. Great to be able to catch up with him. Somebody that I'm surprised we haven't had on before. You threw out the idea a few weeks ago, and you're like, hey, we should totally have Tay Casey on. I was like, yeah, we should. I don't know why we haven't done that yet. That happens yeah. sometimes. Definitely going to have to have him back on. But here is our interview with Tate Casey. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is a first-time guest, in fact. It is former Florida tight end and current Florida sideline analyst, Tate Casey. Tate, I, I got to imagine that Kyle Pitts is making the job description of Florida tight end all sorts of cool again. Um, I, I said in the offseason that we should stop calling Pitts a tight end because of where he lines up and what he can do. I, I think he needs to be rebranded if he wants to win the Heisman. Would you help us get some momentum to just call him a football player instead of a tight end? <laughs> I think he got a better chance of calling him a grown grown man. You know, mm-hmm. he, uh, he he's definitely shown out this year. And, and, you know, unfortunately, the last two weeks, He's had to take a little bit of a break due to all the COVID situation at Florida. But, you know, he started the year off right where you'd like him to if you're Dan Mullen and uh, and Tim Brewster. You know, compare this offense to the one that you were in with Urban and, and Mullen back in the day. Is it more explosive, more diverse, equally impressive? Where do you kind of see some of the similarities and differences? You know, there's similarities in the in the concept. You know, the concepts are, are very similar to what we uh, what we had back in 2006, 2008. I think I would say that it's a, maybe more diverse, although we, we spread the ball out quite a bit back then. Um, I think the, the explosive 
comes from the players, you know, it, it comes from who, who are your, you know, your guys. Cause in 2006 and 2008, you just had so many guys that were explosive guys, you know, with the Lewis Murphy's of the world, the Riley Cooper's and the Percy Harvin's and you had a number of playmakers. I, I think that it's as diverse now, maybe less explosive players, but maybe same amount of explosive plays, if that makes sense, because hmm. you've got guys like Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony. Uh, although you lack guys like Jeff Jeff Dimps, uh, Chris Rainey's, the Percy Harvins of the world, that at a moment's notice could take something 40, 50, 60 yards to the house. Yeah, that's a fair point. Because, yeah, they don't necessarily have those little speed guys in the same way that they used to. Because I do feel like, I mean, if there's if there's a comp for Harvin, it's Tony. But at the same time, they're still they're still different in what they do. We, we talk a lot about all the household names on those national championship teams that you were on. What, what do people not realize about those groups besides the, you know, cliche, we worked so hard and just really felt like a family. Like what, what really kind of it, it went under the radar with those teams? I, I think grit. You know, I think when you, when you talk about the, especially the 06 team was more of your blue collar mentality compared to the 08 team. And, you know, I tell people all the time, those, both teams had similarities, but they had their, their you know, contrast as well. The 06 team was built on a blue-collar mentality. Um, you had no choice but to outwork everybody else, uh, and it had just a list of playmakers. I mean, you had a list of guys that literally did their job, um, and I think that that's why it was so cohesive. That's why that team became a championship-caliber team was because it wasn't – there wasn't an ego really – everybody left the ego at the door. I mean, there was not an ego on that team that, that outshined anybody else. And it was literally, if we, if we do our job, we don't think anybody can beat us. And we had a lot of doubters along the way. And, and I think that what we did was we proved a point really to the college football world that it wasn't really about just having unbelievable talent. It was really what you could do with 11 guys on the field at one time, uh, all doing their job. To, to pretty much move towards a common goal. Uh, the 08 Chris, team, in contrast to that, it's it completely different. You know, the 08 team had all the talent in the world, and the 08 team also knew we had all the talent in the world. And, and I think our really what we carried with us was more of a swag and, and the, the attitude that there wasn't anybody out there that can beat us as long as we did what we're supposed to do and execute the game plan. Chris Leak, better eyes or spiral? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a good question. Uh, depends on who you ask. Um, man, that's a good question. I I still haven't to this day seen as good a spiral. Um, mm. So I'll go spiral just to err on the football side of things. But like I said, you know, it depends on if you're asking the Tri-Delts or if you're asking uh, you know, the Brad House. <laughs> I mean, you got to see both of them at the same time. So I figured you were the perfect person to ask about something like that. <laughs> I, I was I was too busy trying to point the football, you know, to, to, to keep eyes on the point of the football. But I, I've had a number of people tell me there's something about those eyes. So I'll take their word for it. But, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Your, your recruitment kind of spoke to who Florida was as a brand. You, you're a Texas guy, you know, born, born in Odessa, the home of Friday Night Lights, and, and you leave to, to play for Ron Zook at Florida. H- how much of that was because of what Spurrier had built, and how much of it was, hey, who, who wouldn't want to go play football and baseball at Florida? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, recruitment always boils down to a number of things. You know, I, I don't think that there's really – 
a recruit in their right mind that's going to go for one specific reason to a school. Um, and, and I think, you know, when you get into the 2000s, at least the 90s to 2000s to now, it, it's so wide open. You know, for a school like UCLA to approach me out of high school or a school like Florida to approach me out of high school and try and sway you across the country, uh, it's more feasible in the last 20 years than it was back in the, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And uh, so you started to see some of that. But, you know, for me, I think Spur era and 90s football is right in the peak of when I was starting to, to get interested in college football with a, an older brother who also played and seeing some of those teams and the Nebraskas of the world, you know, schools that were outside of the state of Texas. And I think, you know, my first real experience of watching Florida was uh, the Fiesta Bowl, uh, Fiesta Bowl in 95 on a family vacation and just, just watching that game. And I think back then I was playing more defensive end. I think I was, my mindset was defense more than, more than tight end. And I used to watch the defensive lines at UF was really a big story because they were just so, good and as i you know grew into junior high and high school the javon curses of the world and, and all those guys that you've seen up front alex brown those are the kind of guys that had an impact on on florida for me but when it became a reality and, and you started seeing guys like ron zook and, and larry fedora and dwayne dixon uh coming to campus to watch you play coming to recruit you and having those discussions then you get into the 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 building a relationship with a coaching staff and having discussions about what you want to be when you, when you get done playing football and it goes beyond the football field, that's where you start to separate some of the schools that maybe you had an interest in, but you also start to think, okay, yeah, this coaching staff over here is actually asking me questions that aren't even related to football. You know, they've got my best interest in mind, or they've got, you know, they've got this in store and here's where Florida wins academically, or here's where I really like this university because of everything they offer after football. And so for me, I think that that was a, that was a big turning point. Obviously baseball and coach McMahon staff played into that decision heavily. Um, but I think the, the one thing for me is I went to high school in Longview. I grew up in Odessa and then moved right before high school. When I left Longview on my recruiting trip and landed at the airport in Gainesville, it, it was almost like a, you know, we took a, a circle flight and landed back in Longview. And it was very similar. I mean, everything was a little more laid back. It was a little more, you know, piney woods atmosphere. And for me, that was great because it felt like home. It felt like a place that I could really settle in. And, you know, I went on a recruiting trip to UCLA and my head almost exploded because, you know, for a guy from small town Texas to go to a place like Los Angeles and Westwood and, and being right there in the heat of the big city, it just wasn't necessarily a feel. Although I liked UCLA, I liked everything they had to offer. That was just one of the dynamics of it. And so, you know, Florida and, and Ron Zook and Larry Fedora and, and, you know, Coach Dixon, I, I think they hit it out of the park in the way they handled my recruitment, uh, understanding that baseball was a huge priority of mine and, and something I really wanted to do while I was there. And, and so, you know, I, I made that choice and don't regret it for anything. What's your best Ron Zook story? And you don't have to go with a certain confrontation <laughs> at a fraternity house. You certainly can if you want, though. I can because I was close to it, but I won't. <laughs> um, no, I, I think I've got two. You know, coming out of high school, I was I was drafted to high school for baseball. And uh, first, I don't know, two months of the summer, summer baseball was always big for me. Uh, it was always a time that I really got settled in in the, in the recruitment for scouting and, and major league baseball. 
And so when I, uh, when I got done playing high school football uh, and high school baseball, I had about a month between the end of the school year and the, and the MLB draft. And there was a lot of questions on, well, he signed a football scholarship. You know, I don't think we're going to be able to, to get him. And my draft stock was kind of on, on the line. I think it was starting to slip because of the football thing. And so I played, you know, about a month of baseball just to try and help maybe convince some of these scouts and some of these major league teams that I was committed to baseball in hopes that I would go even higher than, uh, than I started to slip and ended up, you know, making the decision, you know what, I'm just going to go to Florida. And so in mid June, late June, we left and, and drove out on a, on a one week notice really. And uh, <laughs> I got to campus and I think the first day I stepped on a scale in the weight room and Ron Zook and Larry Fedora were kind of waiting for me on the scale. And, you know, at six, seven, you, you like to be a tight end. That's going to step on at two twenty, two thirty, your freshman year. And I think I, I think I popped a, an astounding two Oh three and I can't necessarily repeat it, but Zook definitely had some choice words for me. He said, what the hell have you been doing all summer? I said, well, coach, I was playing baseball. I thought I was about to get, get paid, you know? And, uh, that was a pretty funny one from him, but I think that the, the funniest one that I had was I walked in, um, it was wait, I was lifting weights probably after the first game. I think it was like an Eastern Michigan or something like that. And in that game, Gavin Dickey in, in some burn time in the fourth quarter had thrown a pass and I was wide open, probably 25 yards down the field. And he threw it behind me and kind of about a foot off the ground. And for anybody who knows, you know, being a tall guy and especially playing receiver, that's like the worst possible place you can put a football and I couldn't come up with it I almost came up with shoelace you know didn't get it and I'm I'm squatting and I'm on a squat rack the next week and Zook walks in the weight room and he's walking across and he sees me and he beelines it over and he just stands behind me for about two reps and uh and he I'm, I'm in the middle of my set and he goes hey what what the hell's the the deal with that catch the other day how come you didn't come up with that ball and I didn't really have a good answer for him because it did hit my hands and so, you know, I said, you know, yeah, you're right. And, and he goes, be a, be an effing athlete. And then he just walked <laughs> off. And, you know, I, I, there's this one thing that I can't stand. It's being, you know, called non-athletic or for somebody to tell you you're not athletic when, when you hang your hat on that. And, man, that, that lit, lit me up. I mean, I was pissed for the rest of the workout. I was, I was uh, lifting a little extra, extra hard there that day, but – those kind of things. Zook knew how to push you the right way. He knew what to say that it pissed you off just enough to get you going a little bit more. And it did. You know, that year, my freshman year, I, I kind of started to turn a corner uh, in the past game, and that was that was one of the better years I had at UF. That story that you just described of Zook in the weight room is literally how I picture him acting all the time. Like, that, that is just like his only – Well, he's one his... of those – you know, him and, him and Charlie Strong were the two guys at UF at the time – in the Zook era, of course, Strong stayed on afterwards, but you would walk in at 5 a.m. for freshman workouts, and those two guys would be finishing up, you know, a set of 225, you know, for 10, 15 reps. And yeah, Zook was one of those guys. He just had that old man strength that, uh, you know, he had some he had some stuff to him. And he was a good coach, and I, I really enjoyed my time with him. I would not mess with Ron Zook. I'll just say that. <laughs> I, I always wonder <laughs> – you know, the transition, um, what it was like when Urban took over, especially for a Zook recruit like yourself. I I've read Urban's book on that whole deal, and, and I think we look back on that, and it's easy to be like, well, he won a national title in year two. Obviously, he won over the locker room early on. 
But I think people forget, y'all had some tough moments in that first year with him. Do you remember the moment when you personally bought into what he was doing? I think it was, for me, of course, I, I was in baseball at the time. I was going back and forth. I was doing like 4.30 a.m. workouts for football, going to class, doing baseball in the, in the, in the afternoons. And about right around spring ball, uh, I, I kind of got summoned back over to football. Um, I don't necessarily want to say it was an ultimatum, but it was an ultimatum. Um, and, and having a starting job in football, it was one of those things I wasn't willing to lose just by default. Uh, but for me, really the first meeting that I kind of listened to how he talked and what he, you know, what he had to say. And I know that there was guys that, that maybe took some of it as lip service and, and other guys that were like, Jesus, we thought Zook was intense. Like this guy's intense. But if you, if you ever listen to urban talk and the more and more you hear him talk and, and his really his philosophy and what he expects and how to win championships and the system you're going to do it with, I mean, it's hard not to gravitate towards buying in um, unless you just, for some reason, have it in your mind that, oh, well, we'll wait and see if this guy's going to pan out. Uh, he had some stuff to say. And for guys that were hungry and guys that wanted to win, which, you know, I fell in that category, I, I wanted to do anything I could do to win championships. And that's why, you know, it's a reason why I didn't look away from Florida when Ron Zook was, was out the door, you know, as easy as it would have been as a freshman who came in under a head coach to say, oh, well, they just fired the guy that brought me in. I'm going to go find somewhere else that suits me better. You know, right. it would have been easy to do that. For guys like me who just said, you know what, I look around and I see nothing but talent, and literally we had the championship-level talent. Our problem was it was more on the discipline. We didn't necessarily have the discipline of a, of a championship-level team. And when you listen to what Urban brought in those first few months, you knew you were in for it. Like, you knew right right on the get-go, like, surface level, you were like, all right, this is about to change real quick. Uh, and it did. It didn't take long. Most ridiculous thing that you saw Percy Harvin do doesn't necessarily have to be on a football field either. <laughs> um, man, I've seen him do some really ridiculous things, and they were all on a football field. Um, <laughs> you know, off the field, Percy's one of those guys that, that – really mellow he's, he's calm he doesn't really stray too far from from the dorm at times but you know on the football field I, i've seen him do some some good stuff you know and there's been a couple of times where you you hear commentary from the opposing team chasing him down the field um and and i i think i threw a about a half second block on a counter play one time and you know just enough to get a linebacker's face to face and percy blows by and you know goes for 40 something yards and the whole way chasing him, the linebackers, you know, talking to me about how fast he is. <laughs> you know, those are, those, are the, those are the funny moments and, and some of the times that, you know, I laugh and look back on the playing days. But there were some, some funny commentary moments from other teams or from our team and, and the trash talk. It, it was just so funny to see we knew how good we were. Um, and, and on a given day, we beat anybody. How many times have you woken up in a cold sweat because you dreamt that you dropped Tebow's jump pass? You know, never the jump pass. I get the ones now where somehow I've worked in a fifth or sixth year of eligibility and we find ourselves back in a championship, you know, moment. And just before the play snaps, I wake up. Uh, and I oh, don't know, <laughs> I don't know how many sucks. guys have those after playing, but for some reason I get those, 
you know, fairly frequent. I'd say probably twice, three times a month or just a playing moment where I'm back on the field and, and don't get to see what happens or the result of the play. That's I never thought about that. Maybe there's a psychology major out there that can tell me what that means. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, we'll get one of our listeners on that. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the the Pro Football Focus article kind of made the rounds uh, saying Kyle Trask isn't an, an elite SEC quarterback. I, I've shared my piece on that. What are your thoughts, uh, at least you know, based on what you've seen so far this year, on the belief that he's just getting all this help from you know Dan Mullen and, and these playmakers around him? Well, I mean, listen, you can classify elite in a number of different ways, but I think when you break down what you want out of a quarterback, you know, what makes a quarterback a quarterback? It's, you know, efficiency. Um, it's making good decisions with the football. It's being able to, to use what's between your ears to make the best decisions. And I think if you talk about student of the game um, and, and what he does and what he's able to accomplish with what he has around him, you know, there's there's elite quarterbacks at times that don't show elite once they get to a certain level because the players around them are not necessarily what they had before. Uh, and I think when you look at you, know, most people would say, okay, Baker Mayfield was an elite quarterback at OU. You know, um, Joe Burrow was an elite quarterback just last year at LSU facing some tough times. Is he elite now? He is. He's an elite quarterback. The problem is he's in the NFL. He's got a little bit of limited resources around him. And so, I, it's funny to see people say, well, yeah, but he's got Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts. Well, that's great. That's what a head coach's job is, is to bring people around and, and make a team a team. And so, you know, I've seen him throw the ball to Comori Gambles of the world and, and Naquan Wrights and guys that are not household names. And he's efficient. He gets the job done. And he moves the ball down the field and completes drives. So, you know, it depends on what your, what your definition of elite is. You know, I think that he can only do what the coaches ask him to do. And if you're going to classify who's a good quarterback based on, you know, their athleticism or something other than that, I, I classify a great quarterback as somebody, does he put the ball in the end zone? Does he score in the red zone? Does he make good decisions with the football? And is he good on third downs? How do you manage your offense as a quarterback? You are the field general. And I think that Kyle Trask, of all people in the last 10 years at Florida, he is the best so far that we've seen since Tim, Tim Tebow. Can't disagree with that at all at this point. Give give Florida fans a reason to feel like this defense is going to improve, or if you'd rather, tell us why you feel like it's in major trouble moving forward. Well, I don't know if I'm, I'm to the point of hitting the button yet. You know, I think that um, right now our defense has a serious situation on third downs. And, and as a defense, if you ever want to get to Atlanta, if you want to be a you know a championship-level program on defense, there, there's a certain time where you've got to take a big, long look in the mirror. And I think third downs right now is a big concern, you know, because when you look at, you know, third and fourth downs, rather, because when you include the South Carolina game, you may have looked okay on third downs, and then you look at fourth downs and you were five, five or six and you stayed on the field. So, you know, there's, there's times where we've had some serious concerns on the defensive side of the football. Uh, obviously, I realize we, we played a little shorthanded the first three games, so I'm hoping that the return of, you know, guys like Kerry Cam- Campbell and Brad Stewart, mm-hmm. you know, aid a little bit in that and allow us to shift some puzzle pieces around. But, you know, you should see Kerry Campbell this weekend. I'm hoping that that, that lightens the load for guys like Tadero Slayton and maybe moves Zach Carter out to the edge a little bit, lightening the load on Britton Cox. I, I don't know. You know, at this point, I'm anxious to see this week what it looks like, how we move some stuff around, and maybe what adjustments they've made on the defensive side of the football. And the hard part about that is with the COVID break that we've taken – 
we don't know what that looks like, you know, from yeah. a, from a, you know, preparation perspective. And so I think people underestimate at times what preparation goes into playing a football game, especially, you know, at a place like Florida and, and championship level football. Um, it's a lot that you're missing out on when you can't get together with your team. And so this is going to be a very important week for Florida football program. Uh, and it comes against a team where we played some really close games in the last seven matchups. I think the average person can look at this thing and say, hey, when Todd Grantham's defense doesn't generate pressure, it, it put guys, it, it really puts guys in tough spots and it kind of falls apart. It is, is it as simple as that or is there something more to it that we're not seeing? You know, I think that what you're seeing right now is really one, how good C.J. Henderson was yeah. before leaving Florida. I mean, we've had some really good cornerback play at Florida. We've been very blessed to have some of the best DBs in the country come through the program. And I think in the last 10 years, we've had some amazing talent in the back end. And what that does for you up front on the front seven, it lightens the load a lot. You're able to do a number of things. Not only can you bring a lot of pressure, you can also rely on those guys to play man coverage and know that, mm -hmm. you know, trust that they're going to be able to do that for two and a half, three seconds so you can get pressure and either force a sack or force a quarterback to make some really bad decisions with the football. <clears throat> and I, I think when you look at that aspect of it, you can go no further than to look at turnovers this year. Because the only one in my mind that I can think of is the first game of the year with Gervin Dexter's, you know, tipped interception against uh, Texas mm -hmm. A&M. Uh, and I'm sorry, Ole Miss. And that's really the only one I think we've forced so far. So I've seen a lot of clean pockets when we're, we're on field, you know, with defense. And so that's not a good thing for your DBs. That puts a lot of strain on the back end. Um, that gives quarterbacks a little bit more freedom of mobility. So I, I think for me, you've got a lot of young guys up on the front seven. The linebacker spot's going to have to come along a lot more than it has and a lot quicker, um, replacing David Reese and, and having some guys out there that have leadership tendencies. And I don't think we have too much being vocal on the field right now in defense. Usually when you see a Florida defense and a championship-level Florida team, there's a vocal leader. You know, for us, it was, it was Brandon Seiler in 2006. It was Reggie Nelson. You had so many guys on that defense that were vocal. They were leaders. They held everybody accountable. In 08, you had Brandon Spikes. You know, you had all these guys on defense, Joe Hayden's of the world, the major rights. They kept everybody accountable. And right now, I don't know if I see that. And so that's, that's what I'm really anxious to see this week, to see how we've turned a corner before I kind of put a stamp on, okay, we're in some trouble on defensive side of the ball. Yeah, even the John Grenard loss, which, you know, even though he was only a one-year guy, that just seems like such a, a big loss right now with what he was able to do when healthy last year as well. Um, last question I have is actually from Marler, who is under the weather today. Th this is going to blow you away. Marler asks, the year was 2002. This, these are all his words, by the way. Uh, the year was 2002, <laughs> and the scene was Houston, Texas at the perfect game underclassmen showcase. We were teammates on the green and orange team. Sick brag. Uh, a lot of people don't know how good of a baseball player you were. Did you ever consider giving that another go after football? Yeah, it's funny. Is a lot of people uh, – I mean, it's funny to think about that specific moment too because that was a great showcase uh, with a lot of talented guys that ended up going you know pro and playing baseball for a while but um i did and a lot of people don't know that you know after football was no longer in the cards um in 2009 
I moved back to Texas, got back with my pitching coach, you know, did that whole deal for about two months and, and was doing workouts with a few teams and then tore my Tommy John ligament uh, in the middle mm-hmm. of a workout with the Kansas City Royals. And so that was uh, – it's funny. It was actually the last time I touched the baseball because wow. at the time I didn't really have too much hope of, of playing baseball after that. I didn't really have, you know, health insurance to go through that process and I needed to work cause I needed the money obviously for, for <laughs> had to pay some form of rent. And, uh, yeah, so that was about it. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up coming back to Florida, worked out for a while and then went overseas and played a year in, in Europe, uh, football just for fun and, and kind of have some, have some cultural experience out of that. So it, that's one thing most people probably don't realize is, is I had three elbow surgeries at Florida in nine months um from 2007 to 2008 and i think that that probably had a little bit to do with why the baseball thing happened after football but i got to a point where i was kind of back in routine and i was throwing you know kind of back normally where i was and then that happened so i kind of put a put, put a hitch in the whole thing and put a stop to it pretty quick you know what i think you needed i, I think you needed Zook to send you a text or something like that, just be an F athlete <laughs> yeah. or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, you know, I think at that point I sulked up with a 12 pack and, uh, and called it a day, you know, try to, try to figure out. And, and you know what, for most guys, that's the hardest part is yeah. having a, almost an abrupt moment that tells you, listen, you, you need to find something you're passionate about, something that you can do after sports, because the hardest decision always comes with, where you stop, you know, when you're competitive, when you're so used to that routine and you're so used to having something that's challenging you day in, day out. I think the hardest part for most guys that come from that world is a hard stop, take a second, sulk in it, however long it takes you to kind of, kind of dry up those tears and then say, okay, you know what? I'm going to take all the focus that that I've taken for the last 20 years and I put into this and I'm going to move it over here and I'm going to find something that pays good money and that I can be passionate about. And I'm going to put the same amount of effort into that. And so I think that that was kind of a turning point for me. And, uh, and I'm actually kind of glad for it. You know, I needed that. Very, very true. You know, for me, it was hitting five, eight as a freshman in high school and realizing that I was done growing and that I should probably stop trying to play basketball, but yours is <laughs> totally good too. Totally good too. I guess, Dave, this I, guess been... I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't tell you this, but I hit five, eight, I think in, in about the first, second grade, maybe somewhere in the ballpark. Oh, come on. That's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> give, give some of us that height. That's, that's just ridiculous. Tate, this has been, uh, this has been fantastic, man. We're going to have to catch up again later in the year. Maybe Florida's defense will have things figured out by then. Maybe we'll be talking about Florida making a push in the SEC East or potentially still having college football playoff chances. But this has been uh, fantastic. We'll have to talk again real soon, man. Looking forward to it. Hopefully we're having that discussion. And I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Take care, man. All right. Thank you. Marler, amidst the craziness that has been going on with us trying to to get everything finalized at our house, kind of forgot. It's Halloween uh, this yeah. weekend. Yeah, Halloween. That's, that's still a thing even during a pandemic. We have fourth and wrong Halloween edition. Thank you for everybody who gave us questions in our Facebook group. Jay Woody, thank you for putting all of that together. We've got a lot of questions. This first one, Really good. Drew Page. Love this. Yeah, this is good. Which coach has been the biggest trick so far, and which one has been the biggest treat? 
I think let's just we could even stick with the new coaches for this. Yeah, for sure. Be- the biggest trick, the, the biggest trick. I, I, I combine those two. Kirby Smart. Uh, no, not quite. Not not new either. So that doesn't work. Gus on. Um, biggest trick so far is Mike Leach. Yeah. I mean, you pull yeah. the rug, you pull the rug out from under us after week one. You think, <laughs> hey, we're going to see this exciting air raid in the SEC. It's going to be awesome. And then Barry Odom draws up the perfect game plan to stop it. Everybody's been able to copy it, and you haven't scored a point since. That's not actually true, but it basically is. Yeah. There's no other answer to that. And then biggest treat, Sam Pittman. I mean, yeah, Sam Pittman, I agree with both those. Sam Pittman, the energy and the electricity that he has provided for that program, you can't say enough about it. We've tried to say as much about it as possible, but nobody thought Sam Pittman was going to provide any sort of entertainment value in year one, and Arkansas has been a treat to tune into every single week. Even week one when they lost to Georgia, they were up 7-5. to That was an entertaining game. That was a treat to be able to actually have a competitive game that we thought was going to be a snoozer. So Sam Pittman's obvious for that. You know, you know who Mike Leach, I just realized this is? You know who he is? is he's, I think that the Friends episode, I think it was like Fun Barry. I can't remember the guy's name. But it was like Fun So-and-So. And it was a guy that would like go out and he'd party with everybody. He had a great time. It was a lot of fun. And then like the next time he came up, he was sober. And the reason why he was fun, you found out, was the alcohol. That's, mm. that's Mike Leach. Like he's, he is, I think he has been the biggest trick of this entire season. It's like... Like somebody new moved in the neighborhood, and whoever used to live there did like this all-out awesome. Gave out like the big size candy bars. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. But but now he's like giving out like toothbrushes or toothbrushes and stuff like that. Teeth brushes. I don't know what the plural of that is. Whatever. Uh, all right. Next question. This oh, is- Lane. By the way, is also definitely should be uh, biggest treat because yeah. him on social media is fantastic. I don't fantastic. know why I left Lane out. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, ooh, there's two on here that are really good. I'm going to go with Dakota Carter first, and then I'll go West Madaris on the next one. What's the most cliche costume you're tired of seeing? This isn't a costume, but I'm tired of seeing it. I'm tired of hearing it, and it's only going to get worse because this stupid-ass movie came out again. You've heard me bitch about it on here before. Borat. The, the Borat 2 coming oh. out with the, the worst. I, I'm so over, I thought we were over the Borat impressions in 2007. They're going to come back now. It's I it, oh. Outside of the Big Ten, there's a few things I hate more than than. Borat impressions. I have a friend who still quotes Borat. I'm Why? Like, we, didn't, we didn't like this then. Why do you still do that? Yeah. Stop it's very annoying. Jeff with a G. You know it's going to no. be his name. No, it's it's, it's not. But okay. I'll keep him <laughs> nameless for the sake of this. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. The, t- the costume that I was sick of before it even came out was Joe Exotic. That was oh. the most obvious. I I mean, I, I've seen it already with people that are that are busting it out. That was old before it, it even came out in year one. I mean, that, yeah. that's uh, Carol Baskin as a costume, I think is a little bit more, you can kind of get away with it because then it's kind of funny if you have like the husband with you as well and you can kind of go yeah. all in and maybe you, you know, you have a knife in one hand or something because obviously yeah. she killed her husband. Well, you laughed like that. Well, fed him to the tigers, my bad. Yeah. But uh, Joe Exotic, I, I look at that costume, I'm like, all right, that, that just reminds yeah, me of how long that quarantine has been. Yeah, that's fair. Um, let's go to, there's a lot of good ones. A lot of good ones. Um, oh yeah, by the way, Jay Woody wanted to know, what's the saddest costume you ever saw somebody try to pull off? Oh, it, mm, I'm not going to body shame anyone here, but in college, for sure. There's the life, people that dress up as a lifeguard for Halloween. Come on. Like, that's not a costume. 
I was in a really bad place one time, like 2011, and I remember putting on a white shirt that I wrote Life, and then went to Kroger before I went out and got a hand, like a bag full of lemons, and I was life handing you lemons. It was pathetic. That sucks. I've been three hole punch. I've been three hole punch gym before, but I yeah. actually sold that because I did the work of cutting out the three black circles to be able to yeah. put it on myself, and then every picture that night. I did the gym face, the default gym face yeah. in my smile. So yeah. that kind of worked. I've also been Dwight before for Halloween. That was that, kind yeah. of sad because um, I, I have Dwight-like tendencies. What? I can at least play them up at times. What is your yeah. biggest Dwight-like tendency? I got to know for the audience. Um, you put me on the spot. I love the beats. Love of beats yeah. and bears. I'm not a Battlestar Galactica guy, no. but those two things, yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. Um, okay. From West Madeiras, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but which coach would have the best haunted house and who would have the worst? It's hard not to say Leach for these answers because he in, in himself is a is a Halloween character. He's but, a haunted house, too. He's of, of terror for fans. I, I could see Muschamp taking it way too seriously. I mean, like Leach legitimately, yeah, yes. I like yeah, your like, heads out with this one. I, but Mike mm. Leach literally... Locked a dude in a shed for like for like an hour or so. Allegedly, allegedly, that definitely happened. Um, I so I I would so this I don't understand why this has happened over the past couple of years, but if, you've probably noticed it. You'll notice it when you move into a house for sure. White people got real amped up over Halloween decorations recently, and I don't know what it's about, but it used to be like Christmas was the thing, but now it's like no, no. How can we absolutely terrify people? And they take it way too far, like. Like the line of where the joke should be, and and where Karen and and Doug sprint across to with their front yard uh, decorations is is it's terrifying sometimes. Mm, okay. Last one that I have, Kobe Wayne Black. What was your favorite candy bar to get, and how old were you when you stopped trick or treating? Also, thoughts on candy corn and circus peanuts. Let's yeah, start with the candy corn trash. and circus peanuts. Trash. Get that out of here. Yeah, Don't need that in my life. Not a candy corn fan. My parents used to always have it in like one of those old china jars that was just sitting there. And I'm like, yeah. I, I'm not, even as an eight-year-old, I'm not even tempted enough to no. want to go and eat that. Get that well, out I mean, You have a lot of respect for what you put in your body. I don't. So I wouldn't go that far for me, but it's still bad. Yeah. Once upon a time, things yeah. were a little bit different. Favorite candy bar. The best candy bar to get now. It's Reese's. It's Reese's. Everything okay. else is 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 coming in second. And I don't give me this... Don't give me this crap of like, oh, Reese's is overrated. People just like it for Halloween because it's got the orange in there and it looks like a Halloween candy. I've seen that take. I've seen that take. Because it like markets it markets itself to Halloween. Where are you finding these takes? It markets itself to Halloween and it's incredibly smart. Reese's is just good. It's just good. Yeah, they are. And you're never going to be my mind, their marketing budget is it's like somehow increased over the past two years so much. I see them all the time now. Reese's, you give them a bank. Like, oh, we get it, dude. We get it. But sure. I think, I, so if you would have asked me yesterday, Connor, if you would have asked me yesterday at 8.47 p.m., roughly, I would have agreed with you. But no, no longer, my friend. Nay. Nay, as our what? good friends. Oh, my God. Have you ever had a take five? Take fives are really good. Take Holy, fives are underrated. Can I say yeah. it? I'm going to say it. Holy <laughs> Take fives are the best. I, I had one yesterday. I love okay, pretzels. Okay, so, like, it, if you haven't had a take five... Do what me and Allie have done all week, and that is, like, I, I, my entire diet has been chicken noodle soup and, and candy. But, like, go buy candy that you say you're going to hand out for kids, but you know damn well you're not going to spray it down for, for all the quarantine or, or COVID stuff. You're going to eat it yourself. That's fine. Do you. Take five 
is chocolate, caramel. Caramel. Uh, I like how you said that. Okay, it's very fancy. Peanuts, peanut butter, and pretzels. My God, is it good. It it's is really good. so good. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. that's that's Reese's. It's part of the Reese's family. It's, so, it's completely agree. It's like a 1A, 1B type thing. I, I completely agree with you. Reese's are the g- best. Give me anything under the Reese's umbrella, and I am a happy what's, camper. What's the worst? Like, worst, like, notable, like, like candy bar. Like a, like a mainstream candy bar. Three Musketeers, Milky Way. Milky Way is just Snickers that forgot that peanuts and nougat yeah. are delicious. That's um, fair. Nougat. I, yeah, my, my wife takes the Milky Way. I take the Snickers all day. Um, I think there are some fruit candies that are really bad. That are really bad. Fruit candies? Like, you know, a, a Laffy Taffy or something like that. Oh, when you get yeah. Smarties or something like that. Smarties that's, are awful. That's disappointing. It's disappointing yeah. every single time. I think, um, what's the um, the the cow ones? What are those called again? Cowtails? Oh, God. Those, I don't know. That sounds those awful. Those suck. Sounds um, very Midwest. Yeah, that actually is really Have you ever found drugs? Who, Tristan Smith said, have you ever found drugs in children's candy? No, no, no. That's not. Um, I'm not a believer that that's a really that that's really a thing that until a lot, yeah. until I see it. I think that was something that happened in the 1950s, and it's it's like Sputnik. There are some oh. people that are still convinced that we need to prepare ourselves for yeah. that, but it's really like come that's on, a good let's point. let's really let's take point. it take a step back um, here. When did you stop? What what was the age that you stopped trick or treating? Like the the last time that you really went out, not with a uh, a friends and and their kids or something like that, but for yourself to say, I am getting candy. Oh, I was probably like 14 or 15. I think, yeah, I think I was like 13. I think I was the, eighth grade. Well, there, there comes like a distinct time too in every person's life, well, at least in mine and other degenerates, where there was like, you stopped going out, Halloween stopped being about candy and it stopped being about getting drunk and, and going out and, and having like, like, like the Halloween parties were always great, um, which is gonna be a seamless transition. First off, and I also wanna say this, so you brought the fruit candies. I made this comment on on social media, and it got. It, I stand by it. If you open up a two pack of Starbursts, and it's they're both yellow, you have you have a lot of you have some life choices to think about. Yellow's Somebody, the worst flavor. That's it's factually it's, correct. It's I, I've written this before when I used to do the winning and boozing stuff, and I and I, I stand by it. Like it wasn't even really that big of a joke. But there's there's three people I don't trust. It, it, it's 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 terrorists. It's it's the refs going into Auburn games, and it's also anybody that says they like yellow Starburst because I just can't believe it. Last question, Orlando Prescott, my man. Go ahead. I was going to say the single worst Halloween candy. People know this. It's factually correct. Smarties. It's good. It's good and plenty. Good and plenty. Is. It's black licorice. Ugh! It is the worst. I am like convinced. Bad and plenty, huh? That my yeah. Nah, I see what she did. My mom is one of six people left on this earth who eats both. Well, eats good and plenty, and also drinks tomato juice. I'm convinced that, nobody oh else does God. that anymore. What, like, I, I don't get what, what the appeal is, how any human being could ever put that in their mouth and say, give me more of that, and I don't want to spit that out. Yeah, that's what she said. So let's move on to the last part. Orlando <laughs> Prescott. <laughs> Orlando Prescott. Um, so, so best Halloween costume y'all have pulled off. I, I feel like we've done this before, but it, it, I want to do it again. Um, my favorite that I've ever pulled off. We did the, I'll put up the pictures again, but we did the full cast of Two-A-Days, yep. which was pretty legit. And like, I, I remember I remember just sitting down, 
It's one of the first times I'd ever really taken my focus medicine, and it was it was literally all used to draw footballs and recreate the entire wardrobe for everybody we had that we were doing. We had a full on cast. We had Max, we had Alex, we had Ralph Smith. We had, come on, Pete and repeat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, and I was I was obviously coach. What's his name? Um, who we later Coach found out Probst. was a terrible person, so it, it worked out well. Uh, yeah, yeah so, just had a second family, whatever. Yeah, my, my favorite uh, that I've ever pulled off was sophomore year, um, and I paid the price for this with the, the worst walk of shame I've ever had, uh, and it was Forrest Gump. When I, I, I had on, like, size 14, way too, like, there's, like, three sizes too big for me, old school Nikes, khakis, a hat, like a, a Dwight Schrute, like, short sleeve button down, a Bama hat, and a ping pong paddle and chocolates, and I just remember... Going to Capital City in Milledgeville, oh, yeah. Georgia, and being so drunk that I was trying to hit on this girl and dance with her. And I just remember dancing for two seconds, looking down, and just chocolates were everywhere. Just that's a hard everywhere. thing to explain, too. Yeah, it's totally chocolate that's on the floor. It, yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't hard to explain because I was holding a chocolate box. But, yeah, it was. I mean, I get what you're saying. <laughs> you're up. Let's close it out. I've said this before. I'll say it again. My brother and I, when we pulled off the – not to get political. Stick to sports, I know. We pulled off the George W. Bush with the Secret Service. That costume was fantastic. That was my freshman year of college. I had a George Bush mask, suited up, had the presidential tie. I think I even had a clip on, like a, some sort of pin or something like that, like a, a USA pin on my, on my suit jacket. Uh, my, bro- my brother was a Secret Service agent. He had the earpiece and everything, would keep people at a distance from me all night. That costume, for whatever reason, it was you walk in the room and you know it's it's tough sometimes when you're when you're five eight. You don't always command the alpha presence at yeah. five eight. When you we try and command the alpha presence when you're five eight, it's a Napoleon complex. But when oh, you're man. dressed up What's as happening? the president Yeah, I know, it's deep stuff. When you're dressed up as the president and you've got a secret service agent, man, I'll tell you what, it's a different kind of mood. It's a different kind yeah. of mood. It was a good time though. That that's the that's the costume that I had the most fun with. I, I also did the um, movie theater floor. That was actually like my most creative costume that I ever did back in third grade or something like that. White sweatshirt, taped a bunch of like random pieces of candy and popcorn oh, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. that actually good. worked out really well. Worked out really well. Definitely original. They gotta be. All right, good to know. This has been a long pod, but hopefully a good one to get you ready for a loaded slate in the SEC. Yeah. If you are not following all of our content, you definitely should be. Go buy a t-shirt as well. We've got all yeah. these great t-shirts that have been coming out that Breaking Tea has been helping us out with. Definitely go pick up one of those. Make sure that you're subscribed to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Shameless plug, I've also got a, a feature on J.J. Bees, Auburn, 6'2", 300-pound Wildcat quarterback, tight end, special teams bruiser, whatever you want to call him. Really fun story to be able to do that. Go check that out as well. Marlowe's got Alabama stuff that he's been working on that you should totally read every week. New feature, NSDS. He loves it. All right, Marla, what do we need to remember? It might pee too much. Talk to you guys soon.